And good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, depending upon where you are on this rotating globe. Welcome to another, and I really mean this, extraordinary edition of The Other Side of Midnight. That time between dusk and dawn when tonight we pin their ears back, we name the guilty, and we show you extraordinary, really out-of-the-box evidence that A, the human race is not alone, and B, they've left artifacts all over the damn solar system, and C, NASA's got them in their hot little hands in Houston, and where am I up to this? D? Okay, we'll go, we'll go with D. Um, we've got the images to prove everything we're going to say in the next three hours. And at the end of the show, in the last half hour, I'm going to lay out a plan where you, the listeners of this show and the supporters of this research program, get a first front row seat changing history. And I'm going to be on coast with George uh, in a couple of weeks on the 19th. I said to Lisa when she sent me the email, I said, you mean the 19.5? Anyway, um, didn't answer. Where's their sense of humor? Anyway, so yeah, on the 19th, I'm going to be doing coast, coast to coast. And I'm going to repeat this extraordinary experiment, except then I'll have, you know, a few million people to talk to. And you guys who are first on the runway, as Buzz said that famous morning, you will lose out because whoever follows the campaign, the plan I'm going to lay out in the last half hour and comes up with the goods. This is a very hands-on tactile, you know, put your body on the line for the benefit of humankind kind of mission. The enterprise, this is an enterprise mission. You're, selection choose to accept that could result in you being on the show presenting evidence that we're going to show you how to collect and being part of what breaks down the last barriers to real disclosure now tonight's show segues perfectly why because god is our executive producer perfectly into tomorrow night's show which is with steve bassett now before you all go oh no there is cutting-edge, behind-the-scenes, outright disclosure war going on in Washington tonight. We're at the cusp of either complete freedom to know who's out there, what's out there, and what we have squirreled away, we meaning the U.S. taxpayer, under the aegis of NASA, under the aegis of the Pentagon, in secret black programs that are above top secret, the same kind of programs that a certain ex-president took with him to Mar-a-Lago. And tomorrow night, we're going to get into potential connections and linkages as we follow the play-by-play of literally the fight of the century to make secret what has been secret for far too long to turn it around and make it public. And as my grandmother used to say, uh, the fur has really hit the fan, or the feathers, or one of those ancient Victorian terms. Anyway, tonight we've got an amazing show. We've got members of our EM team. We've got John Brandenburg, who is with us. Remember, Ron is the 
nuclear physicist that I turned to decades ago for the independent Mars investigation at SRI when I was putting together a team to look at the first Viking data of evidence of an ancient civilization on Mars we had from NASA to grapple with. And so I invited specifically uh, John to be a part of that team, not accidentally, but by, by kind of purpose, because one of the things I had noticed in the NASA data from Viking was an extraordinary anomalous display of isotopes in the Martian atmosphere. And to me, they look like the signature of an ancient nuclear war, which given the fact that at Sedoni we're looking at ruins, we had no real time scale. We're trying to do, you know, celestial alignments and that doesn't give you that an accurate, you know, slice of time. Anything was possible, including the bizarre anomaly on, I mean, anybody who ever watched science fiction in the 1950s and 60s knew that if you went to another planet, Mars, Venus, whatever, the first thing you deployed before you let the crew go outside was a Geiger counter. You measured the radioactivity in the atmosphere of the planet you'd land on. It was, it was by the book, the way they did it. Do you know that Viking, the first human artifact in the modern era to land on Mars by way of NASA and JPL, carried a lot of instrumentation that carried, you know, biological experiments. It carried an anemometer, color cameras. It did not carry a Geiger counter. Why not? Anyway, so we're going to talk with John tonight. And then, of course, we've got some really sterling members of the EM team. We've got Kantia here, who is an exquisite artist. And we're going to ask her for an artistic um, verdict on some of the evidence we're going to lay out tonight. Anyway, without further ado, uh, let's see, what should I do here? I should probably go to Skype and bring on Dr. John Vandenberg, who is with us from Texas. John, welcome back to the other side of midnight, a man who needs no introduction, save what I just went through. Go for it. Uh, yeah, I, uh, uh, Richard, it's just a pleasure and honor to be on your show and with your other distinguished guests. And um, yeah, let's talk about Mars. You know, uh, that you getting me, you recruiting me for that crazy expedition, mental expedition to Mars, uh, really, uh, really changed my life, the course of my life. Oh, my God. And well, I mean, it, do you, you know, remember it was, when Carl said to you, and it wasn't tongue in cheek, he was dead serious. John, it's not whether you're right or wrong with all your eminent, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of amplifying his conversation, with all your eminent degrees and your unique nuclear physics background and, you know, your interest in extraterrestrial life, you're not even in the conversation. Oh, oh well, you know, hey, we, Carl, Carl was okay. He meant it as part oh, of, I, a, oh, as being I, a spokesperson well, for, it, John, 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 hang on, hang, hang on, John, hang on, hang on. It was the mantra of the academic establishment then and now. You only oh. get to analyze and play with this stuff, which, of course, we all pay for as taxpayers, if you're in the club, if you're in this very exclusive, you know, you have to be invited club of folks sanctioned by NASA and by the government and by academia to speak 
about this evidence, <laughs> this data. Now, that's the old school. Now, I know. Because, hey, hey I, I discovered the Mars Paleo Ocean as part of your investigation. Yeah. And they have a great paper on it. They never give me credit for it. Of course not. Even though it's remember, on Wikipedia, remember what we were, what we were, remember what we were tracking from the Viking data that gave us the first evidence that there had been an ancient ocean on Mars. Yes, the chlorine. Oh, oh yeah, the, 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 the and the, the sodium the clay on the, on the ocean bottom where they landed. It was salty. Exactly. <laughs> yes. 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 And many many oh. years later, uh, Tom Van Flandern, remember Tom? Who was, yeah, oh yeah. who was, of course, Good the, guy. the or, oh, absolutely, the originator. He should be here tonight. A lot of people should be here tonight. Robin should be here tonight. He should be here. Paula Violet should be. Why aren't they here? You know, that's a question that I don't think even Georgia can answer. Anyway, Van Flandern was very interested in terms of his exploded planet hypothesis, which involved Mars. Yeah. Just everybody, yes. everybody Google. Uh, EPH, Exploded Planet Hypothesis. It'll give you more information than you ever could read in 100 years on on um, uh, Tom's amazing idea. One of the predictions was when the planet that blew up in, in, in the face of Mars, releasing it from its satellite orbit around this ancient planet, blew up, it splattered into space a whole bunch of meteorites, which took with them pieces of the oceans of both the original planet and Mars. And mm. so and so we discussed decades ago the fact that somebody somewhere, I'm trying to remember the institution of the uh, lab, or it, it wasn't NASA, it was somebody in the field collecting meteorites, which of course are ancient remnants of the exploded planet in Tom's ideas. They found little tiny packets inside the meteorite that were contained a liquid, John, and the liquid yeah. was salt water. <laughs> From the exploded planet and from Mars, because the debris swept the oceans off Mars. You know, well, you it was all terribly awkward for them, but they managed to get through it. Well, they've, they've gotten through it by simply ignoring it. Oh, of course they have. But see, tonight I'm going to talk about a technology, <clears throat> which if it works, <coughs> excuse me, and I you think got it will. Cough. You've got the cough. This cough is going around. Hmm. Don't say that, please. Anyway, okay, I will, I'll be talking about a, a major breakthrough in space technology, which in the next few days, if it works, it puts in our hands, John, yours and mine and everybody listening and the Coast audience and anybody who's been paying attention to this set of ritual government NASA lies for the last 50 years, we'll be, yes. able, we'll be able to put a spacecraft together and send it anywhere in the solar system or beyond price of a couple of cups of coffee. I mean, the breakthrough, which is in Earth orbit tonight, waiting to be born, could change everything about the uh, background of the conversation we're going to have tonight about Bennu and Ryugu and Mars. If that, does, that doesn't work, my plasma thruster uses water as uh, water vapor as fuel. Yeah. It's been tested in space and it works. Okay, well, so, I, I, I mean, as, as as Trump said once, said I, I I prefer drives that don't need fuel. <laughs> no, he didn't say it, but he should have. Okay, all right. So well, uh, hang on, hang on, hang on one but, second. Um, I have some news items tonight. Remember, the way you get there is you click under the banner on the guest page on uh, Richard's items, 
fast link to items, click on my name, that will take you to my items. Number one, the backdrop of this entire conversation, everyone, is, of course, the insanity going on in Gaza uh, at the hands of Hamas and Israel with Palestinians caught in between. A slave population, obviously admitted by every, the whole world, and Israel is pulverized. There is more tonnage of weapons dropped on Gaza two months into this war than apparently were dropped by the allies on Germany on 61 major cities in two years of World War II. This is insane. There's no proportionality. There's no rationality. There's no justice. It's simply an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And it is so anciently biblical. So I just want to say, um, I'm working on a show, really working on a show, getting the right people together, the right players, to delve into the fundamental underlying rationale of insanity behind all this. Why is this going on? And I'm talking several levels deeper than Iran and Jews hate Arabs, uh, Jews hate Jews, uh, Arabs hate, hate uh, Arab. You know, none of that. This is so much deeper and much, much stickier. It's going to be an incredibly controversial show. But I feel we've got to do something. And you can't, with, with, with genocide going on in front of your eyes, you cannot do nothing. And that says well, absolutely. It's interesting you should men- mention the theme of genocide because that's why Israel exists, because somebody tried to get genocide them. Exactly. And that anyway, so my my first item there tonight is about the analysis. I mean, I'll just I'll just say one thing. Look, I'm a supporter of Israel, and look, my pop bombed Germany during World War II. He felt terrible about it later in life, but when you start a war, <clears throat> but the Palestinians didn't start this war. Hamas did, <clears throat> and everybody. Let's not let's talk about Mars. I mean, you know, (laughs) I mean, really, that's something we can do something about. Well, I don't I want to I don't want to leave any ambiguity. I'm also a supporter of Israel, a sane Israel, not Netanyahu, not the genocidal idiots around him who said the other day with a straight face, we ought to just nuke Gaza and turn it into a parking lot. This is systematic genocide, ancient war that should not exists it should not be going on and the program i'm putting together is going to well you're right you're right dick it shouldn't be going on so let's talk about mars the planet of war well the the reason very very good the reason that i wanted to put that on the record is because if the developments we're going to talk about tonight uh come to fruition are supported by enough people that want to turn the page To me, the only thing big enough to deter insanity like we're seeing in the Middle East tonight and in Ukraine and in the 140 other wars that are going on around the planet. Don't forget Taiwan. That we never hear about. The only thing, thing, John, that's going to be big enough to change that is the confirmation that we're one of many extraterrestrial civilizations. And some of them... 
some of why, them. Why do you think I helped you in your investigation? Because I wanted to change the, the, the situation. So we ultimately you know? agree. Fantastic. Okay, that segues into item number two. There, there, is, there is tonight, produced by a company called IVO, which is based out of uh, South Dakota, with a satellite office in McLean, Virginia. This is an electronics company. They make wires and circuits and, and, and um, capacitors. Sure. They have put into space, per a Elon Musk launch, of a Falcon 9 on this on November 11th, a spacecraft called Barry One. I'm betting that Barry is a guy in the in the company, which, with the help of a company called Rogue Space Systems, which actually built the spacecraft. My Khrushchev, so we will bury you. Do you think? No, 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 no. It's it's like 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 Eugene Barry. <laughs> okay, sure, sure. Yeah, Barry. Gene Barry yeah. You know, which I think is short for Bernard or something. Anyway, so it's obviously a favorite son. You can name your okay. spacecraft anything you want. So if you're a private sure. company sure. and you're paying to put a spacecraft into orbit, you can name the damn thing anything you want. The point is, it carries two versions of something called a quantum drive. Ports to be, after a very large series of lab tests on the ground, proved it worked in a vacuum chamber here on Earth like 10 or 20 times. They got it into orbit. It's sitting in orbit tonight, and they're about to turn it on. And the idea in a spacecraft that carries no other propulsion, no hydrazine, no rockets, no solid rockets, no firecrackers, no nothing. All it can do is look at various directions in space. It's what's called attitude orientation, and it does that by means of rotating gyros inside the spacecraft. So this spacecraft equipped with these two hyperdimensional drives, really. Because uh-huh. the only way they can work is if they reach beyond the 3D closed system we're in and extract energy and thrust from a second-order dimension. That's why this test in the next few days, if it mm-hmm. works, their plan is to raise the orbit of the member. No reaction on board, no rockets on sure, board. Sure. To raise the orbit... Uh, 100 kilometers, 60 miles, with zero engines. That's that, Yeah, okay, 60 miles. And everybody is looking. The Russians are looking, the Chinese are looking. The oh, Japanese. yeah, and everybody's going to be able to track the orbit. Absolutely. The orbit. So we'll have reams of independent confirmation. And what's weird in the uh, Forbes piece, which is what that is, that link goes to the Forbes magazine, because Forbes is no dummy. They know that if this technology is, is debuted, there is going to be a gold rush, both in space and on Earth, the likes of which technologically we have not experienced since uh, the Industrial Revolution. Because, oh, sure. Because something, like that will, uh, something like that will eventually happen if this doesn't work. Yeah, but if this yeah. doesn't work, according to the Forbes piece, there are several other payloads in the queue to go up and test another version. Remember, Excellent. the hardest part of, of debuting a revolutionary technology is convincing somebody with the money it'll work. Okay, more power to them. So well, where would they go? Where would you? Where would we go hang on, first? Hang on. You're, 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 you're one question ahead. So let me let me close the loop on this. Because hmm. okay. the same technology, which can produce unlimited 
energy to move a spacecraft anywhere in the solar system or beyond for zero fuel, zero, and no moving parts. Also, when you rearrange a few of the pieces of it, it produces an unlimited amount of electrical energy in a device the size of a bread box, anywhere on Earth, all over Earth. Uh Uh-oh. Now you're making me nervous because I just invested in a thousand shares of Standard Oil. Oh, well, what's it going to do? John, sell it quick, quick, okay? Because <laughs> all it's going to take, remember, why is this article, this very, very comprehensive article, appearing in Forbes magazine? Because the Forbes guys are no dummies. They see dollar signs, they, they don't you know. see changing paradigms of physics, introducing new dimensions connecting science and consciousness. No, they don't see any of that. They see dollar signs. They see a gold rush that will make the 49ers look like pikers. And it's all literally within the next few days. So I'm going on coast on the 19th. Excellent, excellent. Well, and I I'm going to obviously talk about. <clears throat> Sorry. It's very dry here tonight. Let me let me take ah, a sip of water. Well, you're in New Mexico, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The not so much land of enchantment tonight. To live there. Okay. Um. Um. Okay. Yeah. Everybody just take take a deep breath. Just just for everyone's interest, we made this nice documentary called Blue Planet Red. Dot net. You can check it out, and it's it's two-hour discussion with 20 PhDs, so I got plenty of company about Mars. Super. And what okay, okay. Let me, let, me, let me move to item number three, okay? In, okay. My, in my item. <clears throat> On Tuesday night, next yes. Tuesday night, the 12th, a little after 8 o'clock Eastern, you know, standard time, an asteroid that's 50 miles across named 320 Leona is going to cross the brilliant upper left-hand red star Betelgeuse in the constellation of Orion. I saw that. That's amazing. It's going to be visible in uh, in Miami. Yes, it will be for you. You're the only person on the show tonight. Ding, 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 ding. That wins the prize that can go outside with binoculars. Well, I, I actually had that in my uh, astro my asteroid novel. They okay. they wouldn't let them check the asteroid orbit with the Hubble because they were so worried about security. So they went down to Argentina to watch the occultation of uh, the, you know, a star with the asteroid passing over to get the orbit precisely. And, um, yeah, that was in my first sci-fi novel, Hmm. Asteroid 20-2012. So, anyway, if you live in Mexico, central Mexico, you're listening, or you live in Florida, southern Florida, you know, Miami, the Keys, whatever, there is a a few miles. Miami, what's that? There's a few miles wide path yes, where you will be in miles. the – this is basically an eclipse, except the object eclipsing is 50 miles, and the, and the sun, the star that it's eclipsing, is bigger than the orbit of Mars or, or almost Jupiter, and it's 750 light years away. Other than that, same geometry as the eclipse of our own sun by the moon, <clears throat> except those eclipses up to like four minutes. Yeah. This, this eclipse, if you're close to the center line, 
and you're like in Florida, you're probably best positioned, uh, John. It will last up to 15 seconds. Yeah, actually, I'm sitting in Texas, so I probably won't get to see it. But I'm no, no, be no, watching. no. You'd have to go out in the boat. Yeah. Yeah. No, seriously, you have to take a boat out into the Gulf. Anyway, well, there ain't no there ain't no rivers around where I live in Texas, so that's mm-hmm. going to be hard. It's going to be a it's going to be a really rough paddling down there. Well, you'd have to but, take you'd have to take a plane. To, anyway, point is, this this is an amazing phenomenon, unbeknownst to John, who I don't think we talked about our discovery of this lunar Stonehenge when you were last on the show. No, I, don't, I missed. See, that, that happened after we talked about the machines in the Brescia. Of the Apollo well, and, and some of those pictures were extremely impressive. They're I real. Other it's real and technology. All... God, if you guys had a baby, you'd say, "Well, it's a small humanoid with, uh, you know, external appendages, and it opens its mouth a lot." But we're never going to call it a baby because we don't read. Right. We're looking right. at artifacts. We're looking at technological machines light years ahead of us in space and time from an extraterrestrial civilization, which may have included us. So, item number four. We have been wrestling, practically since the last time you were on the show, John, with this discovery by an amateur astronomer in Ohio who posted on Reddit images from the Chandrayaan-2 orbiting spacecraft looking down at the various Apollo landing sites and taking really good pictures. Much better than LRO. And this amateur astronomer posted them on on his website. He runs an amateur astronomy site in um, in uh, Ohio, <clears throat> as well as on Reddit. And I looked at Reddit one day, and I think maybe somebody has forwarded this to me. I have a, a really amazing intelligence network. People all over the world send me stuff. Hey, are you looking at this? Are you paying? Do you know this happened? Are you pay- I mean, I have the greatest volunteer intelligence agency on the planet. So one, someone, one of those people sent me the Reddit link, and I looked, and I went to the guy's site. He has well, direct. What will, will be your title, Dick, when you become head of this intelligence agency? Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I will field marshal or uh, you know, uh, generalissimo. <laughs> no, actually, many years ago, a friend of mine, a, a technical genius at MIT, uh, named um, um, oh, what was his name? Oh, I can't think of his name at the moment. Anyway, he, he was designing starships. Without without fields, you know, with basically fusion rockets, you know, yeah, yeah. Project Daedalus, whatever. And he, yeah. he asked me one day, he said, what would you like to be on the ship? He was, he was very optimistic. <laughs> very, no, very serious. I said, high priest. He said, what? You didn't, say, you didn't say captain? No, I said, high priest. Okay, I want to be captain. Because so high, can, no, high, priest. high priest has more power than a captain. All right. High priests deal in mythologies and culture and belief systems, and whoever owns the belief system owns the crew and the mission. So I wanted high priest. Well, what that assumes you have a high priest, a a church running the whole society. I mean, in the society we have here in this country, I don't think you can find a common belief structure. Just about any place. Wait, wait. Did you ever live through uh, Jim and Tammy Baker? 
There's a huge swath yes, of, of Americans. Yes, I, it is a matter of fact. You know, and I was a, I was a Pentecostal fundamentalist at the time. Cause my parents had joined that, and I just I, I I saw so much other stuff like that in the churches I was in. I I became I quit and became an Episcopalian, which is called Christianity in its mildest form. Okay. I thought it was called Catholic. <laughs> One minute to break. Anyway, uh, Don, why don't we hold it there? Because we're at the bottom of the hour. Sure, sure. And uh, as soon as I drink some more water, I'll be back. India can be first mate. (laughs) You're on the other side of midnight. We're talking tonight about a radical transformation technologically in being able to, as citizens of the United States of America, completely bypass NASA and go out there with our own spacecraft and verify every damn thing we have discovered over the last 40 years. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. Welcome back, everyone, on this Saturday night, December 9th of 2023, counting down to an extraordinary year. 2024 is going to blow everybody's socks off. So if you want to corner the sock market, you cannot but make out like a bandit. So, John, um, I, 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 I want to switch gears just a little bit. I'd like my socks to stay in place, actually. Well, then don't look at any of these pictures tonight, okay? <laughs> So 
what what I want to do is I want to switch gears from Mars to uh, briefly the moon, because remember, we're going to have this extraordinary occultation or eclipse of Betelgeuse on Tuesday night, a little after 8 Eastern time. There's going to be a live telescope from the observatory in Rome uh, called the Virtual uh, Telescope, which is online. You click on the, uh, that link, item number three. It has all the proper links to get to the telescope. They're going to broadcast it live. If we're really lucky, the asteroid is big enough and the optical disk of Betelgeuse is small enough that there will be a total eclipse of the star, meaning it'll be there one instant and then blink and for 15 seconds see a thing. And then it will go blink and it'll be back and then getting much brighter very rapidly as the asteroid moves off the alignment with Betelgeuse. So that's what's live on tap for Tuesday night. December 12th. The reason this is important is because Betelgeuse is the most interesting single star in the upper left-hand shoulder of Orion, the hunter. Right. Well, if you look at item number four, and there's a whole backstory which you can go, John, and listen to the to the other shows on this. Sure, sure. McBride, this is the amateur in Ohio, discovered this thing in the Chandra data, posted it, and has done no further research, which I'm kind of puzzled by. So I Maybe brought- Maybe came brought, and talked to him. He posted it on, on the web. He posted it on Reddit. He posted his website. It's on there, the links to the Indian data. But it's like he didn't take it any further. He just said, hey guys, take a look at this. So we did. <clears throat> and we put the Enterprise Mission team on it. And we've come up with stunning correlations to ancient, megalithic circles all over the world, including those of an identical dimension to the 30 feet or so that this circle of objects on the moon happens to, 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 to be. This is literally at the Apollo 12 Surveyor 3 landing site in the northern corner of the Surveyor Crater. Just below. Is it visible in any of their ground photos? You know, they took a lot of photos. Yes, of course, of course. And that's in all the other shows. The key, oh, thing, the key thing that I asked from the beginning, <clears throat> given that I was kind of captain of the team, why the hell would anybody do this? And when would they do it? And because it was a circle, and it's a megalithic circle, and you go back to the early archaeoastronomers, including uh, Fred Hoyle, and who was the guy that... Uh, uh, Hawkins, I believe, who decoded Stonehenge back in the 1950s. So with that yeah, as a yeah, model. Yeah, I remember it was a big deal, though. They watched oh, it was the a huge deal. Huge deal. So the, it's, the heel on it's, it's, Yeah, But it has more alignments to other things than just the sun. So this thing on the moon, the model was, okay, if it's built in the idiom of the things on Earth, maybe it was one of the first ones. It was an example. And the ones on Earth are copies brought to Earth under different conditions, but the idea was the same, i.e. a celestial clock. Well, you know, you could understand why human beings on Earth would be deeply impressed with somebody coming down telling them how to build this Stonehenge thing. But why would anybody, supposedly advanced culture on the moon, build one? Oh, how clever of you to ask that key question. <laughs> Because here's the answer. Here's the answer. Okay. 
in the surveyor crater, remember, NASA landed two missions, a manned mission and an unmanned mission twice in the same place. The unmanned mission became the target for the manned mission. There turns out to be a few dozen feet away a Stonehenge, which has optical alignments to rising and setting, the most predominant of which is in figure number four. The red line, if you stand on the top of the object, which is depicted by a close-up shot right below it called the, the time uh, uh, capsule, that's what it looks like in the photograph taken by Alan Bean, the inset below it. It's a building. It's like five feet tall and seven or eight feet long and about five feet wide, and it's got pyramidal sharp geometry. If you stand on this building and look across the center of the circle, you will see 30,000 years ago the belt stars of Orion, Osiris, setting on the lunar horizon. If you follow the yellow line from a stone or an object on the other side of the circle, hang on, John, and follow it as a tangent to the center of the circle across the opposite member on the other side of the circle and continue that sight line on, that marks the rising of the belt stars of Orion at 113 degrees azimuth 30,000 years ago. And the patch, the mission designation of the entire Apollo program was the Orion constellations with the belt stars <laughs> featured prominently. Can you see a plan, John? Oh, oh of course, of course. But I, I also remember they, they burned out their nice color camera, so all they could do was take black and white Wasn't pictures. that special? Wasn't that wasn't that convenient? Apparently, it was maybe quite colorful, made of jade or something like that. Who who knows? Well, against a pretty neutral background, if there were interesting things of color, like jewels, uh, we have the best close-ups from Bean's camera on the surface. Again, that's yeah. part of earlier programs. These things have geometry. The object in the center is the tallest. Look at the shadow. It appears to be a chair, a large <laughs> chair which is decorated with various faces, like carved relief um, symbolic monuments in Sri Lanka. In other words, it's looking Egyptian and Vedic, and it's in the right time frame for John's independent, John, uh, um, um, uh, oh, what's his name? John West, his independent analysis and dating of the Great Pyramid and Sphinx he said from the size of the dating for being built 30,000 years. So, oh. so we have this, because remember the whole origin of the ancient Egyptian civilization was all about the, you know, the Holy family, Orion, Osiris, Isis, and Horus, which of course is reflected. Set. Say again. Don't forget Set. Oh, the, the evil brother. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, he wasn't evil, but he was he was the negative Oh, type. You, every brother murders his other brother and gets 72 nobles to collaborate, which is part of procession, that, et cetera, et cetera. Didn't he have something to do with the domestication of the cat or something? Bastet? Well, the, yeah, she was separate. She was never part of that roster. No, okay. The, 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 okay, the, voice, the voice coming out of yeah. the dark is Ron Gerbron. Okay. Yes. 
I'd like to get through a couple items here because we don't have John forever, and I want to get okay. to get I, to a. I, I, get, I, I'm recovering from a cold, so. Yeah. So okay. item item uh, item here. number five. What what triggered the doing this show tonight tonight was the fact that one of our eminent team members, Ruggiero Ruggiero Kalo, who is joining mm-hmm. us from Britain, I uh, believe he's not with us yet, but he will be in the next hour. He sent me a clipping from the Guardian, I believe. Um, or was it, no, it was the BBC, talking about the little tiny speck of material that NASA, in its beneficence, was loaning to the British science community from the recent retrieval uh, from the asteroid Bennu, which is like 1,500 feet across, by and a Monica mission. Grady, Dr. Monica Grady is in charge of that. Yeah, anyway, anyway, the NASA has loaned the Brits a tiny sample of this asteroid so they can do science and figure out uh, carbonaceous chondrites and isotope levels and, you know, the usual stuff, okay? Now, mm-hmm. this raises the problem because in the article, it still talks about the fact that after two months after landing in the Utah desert and being transported in a sealed capsule to Houston and opened up in a clean room, still don't have the right screwdriver to get into the sample collection capsule that it contained and constrained and caged, you know, like a couple of pounds of material from Bennu. I think they should make a public outreach and get people to send different kinds of screwdrivers to them. <laughs> that's a, oh, that's a wonderful idea. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I mean, this, this goes down with, oh, we don't need to look on life for life on Mars anymore. We're going to look for life on Mercury. <laughs> And we can call it the Is NASA Screwing You campaign. Obviously, <laughs> obviously not, because they can't find a screwdriver. You know, you know, NASA's just the little choir boy in this big church. Oh, they're the obviously, uh, you know, they're, they're following orders. And they it, are it, it really, orders. it really is like one of those uh, Saturday Night Live skits where something happens and one of the characters says, who ordered this? In addition to the two pounds or so that's in the canister, there's another maybe half a pound lying around on the rim. As the kind kind of much, kind of yes, it's it's an amazing amount, kind of like in the vestibule. And so they've been they've been analyzing that stuff because they can't get into the you know the stuff inside, and they've been sending. Do you believe them when they say that? Of course not. I'm telling you what the reporting is. So show what we can do as the what, listeners. Uh, what a bunch of baloney that is. You know, I'm I'm being kind because we're on the radio. Yeah, or yeah. well, so far, your opinion is part of 100% polling. Nobody that I've shown this to says, A, oh, the poor babies, all that I, way and they can't get into it. Or B, well, we just have to be patient and wait. No, they first say, like, those sons of bitches, they're obviously lying. And then what are they hiding? Why are they terrified? So now what you want to do. Find, you, mean, you mean it's not a blade screwdriver? It's a Phillips screwdriver and they can't on, find one? Hang on. What you want to do, you want, you want to go down to item number 15 of my items tonight. Click on that. Do you have a picture of the screwdriver they need? Richard? Yes. Richard, John, while you're, uh, while you're clicking down, uh, you just reminded me of something. 
I love this screwdriver idea, but you realize one of the things that the public in general got from the space program was that um, universal wrench. Have you, ever, have you ever used one of those self-adjusting wrenches? They've got those pieces that slide and fit against. Yeah, yeah, that, that was a nice, that is a nice piece of stuff. You know, I, I think I they can one. do that, but they can't get into a canister. Yeah. Well, I am reminded. I'm. I am reminded of of Apollo 13. Remember, they had an explosion in the oxygen tank. Oxygen right. is is essential for life. It looked like the astronauts were going to die in space. NASA had to whip up a backup plan they had never practiced for. And in one day, on a conference room table, they created a technological gadget to filter carbon dioxide from the air of the capsules so they wouldn't die of strangulation on CO2. One day, it's been two and a half months and NASA can't find a damn screwdriver. Yeah, we are, well, we are screwed. You know, I obviously mean, they need our help. Obviously. So if you click on number 15, what they have done is that they have in their largest, Bill Nelson, you're gonna see this when you click on item number 16, they have literally donated on long-term loan another piece of Bennu, one of the chunks sitting on the pan that's not inside beyond reach of earthly screwdrivers. They sent that over to the Smithsonian, which created a whole exhibit, which is outlined in great detail in my last item, which is number 16. Click on that. That will show you the display and the fact that they've got this object which is my close-up in 15, sitting in a little pedestal illuminated by a directed aimed pen light under a microscopic magnifying glass so that anybody from this audience who goes to the Smithsonian can go up to this display, take their camera out of their pocket and take a super set of close-ups of an object which is unequivocally a piece of ancient artificial ET technology direct from a non-asteroid, an ancient octahedral spaceship called Bennu. So at that point, let me introduce Andrew Curry, who was one of our resident artists. He makes his living doing artwork for commercials and television and all that. And Andrew, I want you to pick it up with your first item tonight, number one. Hey, hi, Richard. Absolutely. Uh, let me get to it. So under my items, under oh, Richard, why don't you describe how to get to these items just for the Well, audience. what you do is you click on the, on our homepage, you click on the banner. You know, tonight, you know, it talks about Bennu. Click on that. That takes you to the guest page. Right under the guest page banner, you'll see... Uh, two lines that say fast links to items. Click Andrew's all the way at the end. Click on his name. That takes you to the page directly connected to Andrew's items. Number one's at the top. Number two's in the middle. Number three is at the bottom. It's number one he's going to talk about because he did it. Richard? Yes, continue. Give the title of the show because in the future the banner won't be there. and They'll need to go to the show catalog. Okay, so they want to look for, hang on, my screen hung up. Hang on, hang on. Uh, our second Enterprise Abbey Loeb Challenge, the Bennu ET Bonanza NASA 
is desperately trying to cover up with John's name, John Brandenburg, and the EM team, prominently in red next to an actual real color image of Bennu, the only one I could find. Andrew, I think your picture is just great, but I just want to say I just actually got a text telling me what's in the canister that they can't get out because they don't have the right screwdriver. Oh, really? What's in it? It's a flip cell phone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, John, John, I was from which from which from which they made the longest distance call in the history of that's right. (laughs) Okay, one last little item before we bring Andrew on. Anyway, Mm. the name of the mission that went to retrieve this sample of unequivocal artificial ET hardware sitting in the Smithsonian Institution tonight, being guarded by the US government, is called Osiris-Rex. And Osiris was Orion, Rex means king. All of this is natural ritual in veneration of Osiris the king, who in fact was human, not an ET, not an alien, human of an ancient high-tech solar system civilization and looks like he's buried in that sarcophagus by the circle on the lunar Stonehenge on the moon. And we got his cell phone. Well, you do. And we got his <laughs> Andrew, <laughs> quick. <laughs> well, and I was going to retort back at at John and say, John, I, I was telling Richard, I think about a couple of weeks ago that I think NASA's looking for Doctor Who's special screwdriver to open that thing. Oh, that's a great idea. I have one. I have I have a Doctor Who screwdriver sitting right here on the desk. Right here on the desk. You have a sonic screwdriver? Sonic yep. screwdriver. Yep. That's cool. Yeah. Well, why can't you fix your computer? They do everything. <laughs> Except that. Oh, okay. They say even the AI that they have down in Houston is stumped by this canister that they can't get open. It's just a shame. All of all of human science has failed. (laughs) Hey, John, what is the first law of uh, human tool using? In a pinch, any available object nearby can be used as a as a Hammer. <laughs> I mean, really, really. Yeah. Uh, no, you have invented the Brandenburg. <laughs> yeah, you have initiated the Brandenburg screwdriver initiative. Uh, yeah, that's this is no. Hey, hey, you, you got to either laugh or cry. We might as well have a good laugh over this because this is this this is absolutely hilarious. Well, I was oh, gonna ta- I I I I, I was gonna wait till the last half hour of the show. But because John is on uncertain, you know, health, uh, I'll do it now because it segues perfectly. The challenge for our audience tonight and the challenge I'm going to present to the much larger coast audience on the on the 19th, whoever gets to the Smithsonian first and gets decent images of this stunning Bennu artifact and gets them to the other side of midnight, gets on the show to describe how they did it, what it took, how they verified that they got the real thing, 
And if what they see through that microscopic lens does and not... And they got to show us the screwdriver they used to get into the cannon. No, 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 no. This, this, no. Was, this was lying on no. top. Oh, this is... Oh, this is... On, I'm sorry. This yeah, is yeah. the stuff... This is, uh, this, uh, is, this is, I got those images in my items. I want to get to Andrew. And isn't it amazing, Andrew? We can't get past John. <laughs> <laughs> He's obviously working for the other side. Well, so, I'll Andrew, tell you what, Richard. Go ahead. I'll tell you what, Richard. I'm feeling very um, magma- magnanimous. How do I say that word, Ron? Magnanimous. Magnanimous. Thank yeah. you. And uh, I'll um, <laughs> meet, your, meet your call, or I'll call your, what is it? Meet your, meet your call and up you one. If someone does this for the show, I will um, take on a personal um, piece of artwork for them. I will do it. I will uh, do something for them that's really special. So I'll, I'll say that on air. I'll do it if they're interested. So there you go. Wow. Well, this is the way to leverage history because there's a reason. And this now gets into Hoagland's, you know, do you really want to go deep in Hoagland's weird reasoning? Yes, of course you do. You're listening to The Other Side of Midnight. I think this is all deliberate. I yeah. think there are two factions. There's the, oh, my God, for want of a screwdriver, we're losing, you know. And that's been going on like the perils of Pauline for weeks. And then there is Nelson and the folks at the Smithsonian who basically have created a plausible deniability third option. Remember, the first two options are disclosure, let it all hang out officially, or cover up. Keep lying and lying and lying and Oh, there's no there there. There's no unicorns. There's no Antikythera, you know, Bennu mechanism blatantly, brilliantly laid out by by Andrew's work. There's a third option, which is they let the public see it in an open venue. You can anybody can take a cell phone set of pictures in the Smithsonian. There's no limits on photography. I took a whole camera crew with Robin and and we uh, taped you know a whole set of TV shows around the Smithsonian. Uh, a couple of years ago, well, m- 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 more than I think it was wait, eight or nine years ago. So yeah, you can you can do this totally legally, but the best photographs are going to win because we're just seeing what they carefully dumbed down so that everybody doesn't see it right away. This is a planned thread the needle disclosure because if NASA gets a whole bunch of emails and letters from our audience. And the millions of folks that are going to hear this uh, when I talk to George, you know, in a few nights, they will get a ton of response, of letters, of email, particularly if they can include the winning image shot by somebody in our audience. And I can think of two people who are allied with the Enterprise mission and the other side of midnight who could do this on an afternoon. And um, well, I'm not going to talk about them because I don't want to embarrass them. Well, they could do this easily and win the prize, which is an original Andrew Curry. I mean, come on, folks. Do you have any <laughs> idea how expensive curry is? <laughs> yeah, well, it's very spicy. So. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, John, look at that. And then uh, wouldn't you like to live a little closer to D.C.? I think we should give them some gold bars too. You know. <laughs> well, we have we have to get those from the guy in New Jersey, uh, Monticello or Monticello, whatever the senator's name is. You know, you know what the joke about that is is that gold actually is very difficult to trace because it's only got one nuclear isotope. You know, unlike silver, where you can 
you know, change, you can figure yeah. out from the isot mixture of isotopes where it came from on Earth or oh. wherever. But or gold uranium. from Andromeda Galaxy looks absolutely the same as gold from Earth. But he he left the stampings on. Yes, he just he, he, he didn't he didn't melt them down. I know he should have just melted them. My God, this is just. By the way, do you know what the highest AMU of gold happens to be? Uh, I, 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 I that escapes me. I'm sorry. One nine five. <laughs> 19.5. Of course, of course, That is Jack. why gold is so valued. I tried to get Art to go there one night. He absolutely refused 33rd degree Mason who kept dropping all kinds of clues on. Do you know how tall his flagpole was there in, uh, uh, you know, wherever he lived in, in, in Nevada? Uh, rump. 195 rump. meters, I'll bet. 195 feet. Oh. 195 thing feet. I mean, come on. At some point, just because. Anyway, <clears throat> I believe Nelson and a his his deputy administrator Bob Cabana, both of whom absolutely believe in extraterrestrials and that that's what you know the Tic Tacs are, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, I yeah, think I they know. arranged to give the Smithsonian this piece of ET technology so that ordinary citizens demanding of NASA they face the facts and face the image will force them kicking and screaming to say, oh, my God, what a bonanza from Bennu. Oh, they, they NASA doesn't have any pull with the rest of the, the, the people who are running this whole E.T. cover up. Like I said, NASA is just a choir boy in the great cathedral. You know, they're. Yeah, but maybe this is an end run. I'm telling you the fact that we have on public display a piece of AET technology. Look at item number one from Andrew. And then as I say that, Andrew is supposed to begin. Andrew's picture is is actually very, very impressive. Andrew, take it away. No, 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 no. It's uh, 30 seconds to a hard break at top of the hour. So Andrew comes on after break. (laughs) I'll hang around. For a few more minutes, I'd like to. I'd like to hear Andrew. Oh, super. Okay, do this. Sorry. Oh, John, I'm hurt. <laughs> oh, what? Who's yeah. that? Who's that talking? This is Ron. I want you to see my item. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350 episodes. 
Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. for that technical glitch. Everybody's back. This board is acting up tonight. Anyway, Andrew. Richard, Richard yes. I, I forget, forgive me, but um, Ron fell off when you asked him to go check another thing, and I'm trying to add him, and instead it's going to a different call. Do you know how to add him? I'm trying to do that. Who's Ron? Ron. Ron. Ron, Ron. Ron who? Ron Gerbron. Oh, here, here, here. Let's see. Okay, great. Okay, great. It's working out. Okay, all right. Go for it. Call subscriber number two. Take it. Answer and... Okay, you can do that off the air, I think. I think. If not, we'll just... Oh, you're back. Hi. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right, I want to go to Andrew. So he's sitting there (laughs) quietly steaming. Doesn't doesn't Ron have something to say? Not yet. Not yet. Yes, I do. Yeah, but not yet. Oh, he should say something, though. No, not right now. John, please. Andrew. Okay, so this is um, that little... Richard, how big is this? It's about three-eighths of an inch in diameter. Okay, so um, a few weeks ago, you had called attention to us, to this, amongst, you know, again, when I talk about our back channels when we're all chatting, usually via email, and I, I don't know if we exchange calls, but I right away saw three circles within circles right away. And that's kind of what I've tried to pull out here. But there is one thing before that. There is an encasing, in my opinion, around this thing, almost like it's been, you know, cracked open. Oh, like my a, like, God. Yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't right. tell you about that. Yes. I Go didn't ahead. tell you. Well, to me, when I looked at the original before you did the sketch, it looks like they selected this object. They did some kind of an X-ray CAT scan. They found the most preserved mechanical gears and whatever. They then carefully, with either a laser or a diamond saw, cut the casing away so we can see uneroded the inner wheels of this ancient high technology. Yeah, so that was the the first thing I noticed was that, yeah, there's some sort of, it's not a rock. It's deliberate. Of course it's not a rock. Yeah, And, and right away I saw these... There's a cluster of three circles in the middle, in my opinion, and I try to draw it out. But there's even more. There, there's a lot of um, design, and um, like I, I had to do this actually very quickly. But I thought the main thing was these three circles in the middle. And I, 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 I mean, unless crystal is crystallizing has suddenly become circles rather than um, and perfectly aligned. I mean, they almost fit into each other. But you and I had a conversation. It reminds me of the Antikythera device. That, that's sort of, you know, that it beautiful. It sure does. Yeah. It's yeah. got 
to it. And I think they prepared it. There's no accident about this being at the Smithsonian. So just ordinary taxpayers and citizens can go look at this thing, take incredible close-ups with ordinary cameras through. They've set it up on a microscopic pedestal. Well, it also, I wanted to point out, it looks like the three circles all have the same diameter. Yes. Thank you, John. That's exactly the same thing I was Which noticing. Which is, to me, kind, to me, kind of impressive. Yes. Uh, well, that, if, that if, 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 if this is a gear train, you could even work out, you know, the ratio, assuming, you know, quark standards and whatever. Like, for instance, the circle on the moon has 12 objects that you, you know, arrange in the circle and line up with the center one. This gearing appears to be a lot more than 12. Oh, yeah, 100%. Now, I wanted to take a little aside. I, I don't know if anybody – well, I'm sure if anybody has opened this up and looked at it in the audience, they noticed that I dated this – I quickly signed my name and I dated it 2024, and I didn't even realize I had put myself <laughs> in the next year. So that's a really weird Now, wait, wait. There is no fair peeking ahead in time as to what this <laughs> thing is going to look like. If that's what you've been doing mm. – <laughs> I think I was just exhausted, but uh, but no, it's you brought that up when you mentioned Doctor Who. Yeah. By yeah. the way, by the way, by the way, yeah. uh, David Tennant is back as Doctor Who, and it's a it's a two part uh, extravaganza sometime in December. Uh, I've got it marked to be recorded. I I would not miss this. I think it's going to be incredibly relevant to all the weird everything all at once everywhere going on right now. Yeah. It's the perfect vehicle to comment on it. Exactly. Well, remember, it came out literally the day Kennedy <laughs> was killed. Oh. Was that an accident? The, the assassination? I don't think so. Well, the fact that they were both born on the same day, and one is still with us and the other is not. And it has evolved into interesting plot lines, and, you know, I, I would not, you know... Uh, you know, disabuse anyone of the idea that there may be more to this Doctor Who special than me CI. Okay, Andrew, I want to go back now to Ron, because while we've been all looking at the interior, the guts, Ron for years, since the Bennu mission was launched, has been looking at the exterior, and he has some very interesting evidence on the exterior of this asteroid slash ancient habitat or spaceship. Ron? Well, yes, I do, uh, and I have your title, since we're worried about your title, Generalissimo Admiral <laughs> Doctor Richard T. Hogan Dada. Yes. Thank you, Ron. Thank you. Oh, my God. Yeah, okay. And, uh, I don't think Edie Amin would mind. Uh, the, um, he's very entertaining I'm for bloodthirsty in, death. I'm but, seeing something huh? in your number one that looks eerily yeah. like the object that's sitting on the moon in the uh, – Surveyor Crater. That's why I made it image number one. Good grief. Yeah. Look at that thing. Yes, I'm looking. Not, and it's pretty sizable. It's not no, well, let me, uh, when, when you look at my items, which we may do or may not do, uh, when I saw this way back when the data was originally acquired by uh, uh, Cyrus Rex, I can't get over that mm-hmm. one, and the, and the, and the torturous court, uh, you know, contortions they went through to get an acronym that makes sense that fits Osiris Rex. I mean, really, NASA is not brilliant engineers and rockets. They're incredible semanticists. That's who they hire, not anthropologists mm-hmm. or paleontologists or whatever. Anyway, 
when I saw this, Ron, yeah. my first thought was visiting newer spaceship. Uh, okay. Yeah, or <laughs> I, I could be a lot of things. Well, look, sure. well, A, look at where it is. It's not on the axis, which is kind of weird. B, it's geometric. It's like it's like a, a big, you know, mausoleum sarcophagus. Hey, by the way, could somebody post this thing? Cynthia, could you post this this nice picture of Ron's? I can't see it. All I, I just can see put is... it in the chat for you. Yeah, Let's you could. Could you? I just did. Okay. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Anyway, Ron, while he's looking, you you, yes. you, you talk. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, oh. Okay. Well, there you go. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. I believe I have them in reverse order on my screen here, but that's... that's well, the close-up yeah, is at the top, and that. the wide angle is at the bottom. You can see how big it is. By the yeah, way, I, Bennu is 1,600 feet in diameter. It's the size okay. of Freedom 1, uh, literally in, in terms of height, which is 1,700 feet, uh, at the south end of uh, Manhattan, replacing the World Trade Tower. Mm -hmm. So that's the scale. Uh, Richard? Yes. Yeah, Rich, what's the tag on number two? Uh, See, I, I Bennu had the, I had and the that's just the whole body. Bennu, yeah, the of the Bennu, whole Bennu, Anno, Twofer. Uh, that, uh, yeah, okay, well, that's what it says it is. It's two pictures of um, Bennu. The one that's important, uh, it turns out, is number four, okay. which has the. Oh, yeah, the yeah. No, number four is a winner. Yeah, now if you look anybody who wants to click on them they get uh, much bigger. Yes, which I and I I uh made sure with Keith that it was going to give us uh, give everybody as much resolution as possible. Oh, it does. It one. does. It's brilliant, yeah. Yeah, and notice notice there's something else going on besides some obviously um artificially tailored blocks there. And remember this is on the outside of the um uh, asteroid uh and there's engraving there's carving there's uh seance whatever you want to call it there's there's stuff that is kind of like uh mayan glyphs but uh different Fa uh more fancier and just stare but, at it for but, a minute but in the in the family thereof yeah yeah it's related you know just stare at it for a while and you go oh now i see just but Okay, there's a, that's what the object was. And I had one question for the audience and everybody else. It's a bit rhetorical, but uh, NASA's pitch about these asteroids that they're visiting, or in the case of um, dinkiness that we didn't have enough uh, <laughs> time to cover, blowing it up, uh, the, um, they, always, they always say they're a, a fluffy uh, coating well, they call them rubble deep. piles. Yes, they that's call right. Them rubble piles, not rubble piles. It's obvious picture. Well, one of my exactly. items, one of my items is a link to a paper. Hey, you're, one of my I items just wanted to was a link to, uh, this supports what you're going to say or have said. You know, the way okay. this show works, it's called a conversation. If yeah, people want to see, if people want right. to see documentation of what Ron has just said, that these objects are geometric and they have an octahedral overall shape and then they have incredible architecture and filigree on the octahedral faces they've been looking at the fact that every one of these asteroids they visited has this kind of shape and they're trying to 
come up with some unifying principle, and it involves rotation. And the well, idea of a rubble pile is if you spin it fast enough, you get this kind of geometry, except you don't. And in that link, somewhere in my items, mm -hmm. let, me, let me go and find it, okay. In, in, and I'll give you uh, the actual uh, item in a moment here. It's number seven. Bennu and Ryugu, which is twice the size, and John wanted me to mention that. That's the one the Japanese Yeah, it's also visited. the same. It's the same shape. It's the same thing. Anyway, this article. Well, it's this, more like a Dremel. This, a, science, like this a... science article says that while Ryugu has a roughly circular equator, Bennu has four sides, meaning it looks like number eight, which is my Bennu octahedron composite comparison, and Ryugu's is number nine, and Stein's, which is the biggest one of all, is number 10 that we visited back in 2018, and number 11 shows that Arthur Clarke was ahead of all of them because his aliens in 2001 were glowing, glittering, pulsing, anti-gravity octahedrons. Aha. Uh -huh. Yes. Something like that. Yes. Yes. What the octahedrons? Was that in the movie 2001? Yes. At the end. Oh, yeah. I remember those flying, those things flying in formation. And I thought that's that was what, That's what these spaceships look like when they were new. We have brought back, we have brought back, no laughing matter, John, we have brought back actual hard material. Pardon me, excuse me, Generalissimo, you know. <laughs> this is going to be what's needed to save civilization. We shouldn't be laughing, we should be plotting a public campaign. I, hey, hey I, I'm not arguing with you there. It'll, it'll, it'll really help. And my last two items, 13 and 14, are the wide angle of the junk on the tray. Remember, the, one of the screws they can't get into is up the upper left. <laughs> and then the close-up of the incredible geometry of another one of these opened-up nuggets showing all the three-dimensional tracery and geometry and circuitry and, you know, uh, unmistakably artificial stuff. Could, could you put that in the chat? Because I can't, I can't see yeah, it, Yeah, Katia, can you do that, please? Which brings yes. me to Ruggiero. Because Ruggiero, remember, he's the guy we blame for spending the three hours on this. He sent me this provocative BBC article saying they were getting a little smidgen of the dust on the top of the can because they can't get into the can because they can't get the right screwdriver. And he sent it around and I said, okay, perfect time to put together the case for why they're lying, why they're desperately lying, and why we can have not even a, It's not and, even a good lie. I mean, oh, it's what, horrible. Because they, because they John, 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 this, John, you know, John, like John, John, you say there's a much higher level deep state program, which is basically ordering the campaign. I'm saying NASA yeah. is breaking with it in a way that they will get away with it. Full with enough eyesight and enough cameras, go to the Smithsonian and take the damn close up pictures. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Oh, like, thank you, Cynthia. Okay, now that, I can see that, this stuff. That is that is uh, that is Ron's actually number. It's a well. Hey, that is, which which one was I supposed to put in there? I'm not sure. I put the one he wanted. Which one did you put in? Was it mine or Richard's? No, it was, it was yours. Number eight. Oh. Oh. Okay. No, I put in Richard's. Oh, Hang on. Let me go back to yours. No, that's okay. Well, I don't know which number one he eight. wanted you to send him. Uh, no, there is no but, number uh, eight on Ron. 
Hmm. No, it's hang one on, of Richard. Hang Richard on, put hang it in hang his. Hang on. No, 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 no. It was number four. Number four. four. My number four is the one with the insect. That's what I wanted to, him, John, to see. Yes. It's already in the chat. Just, okay. It's just above the image I put in there. Oh, do you see it, John? Yeah. I love backstage radio. Because that's number four. No, she wrote under it. That's number four. <laughs> That's number four. Okay. Yeah. The uh, one where it, there's artwork on the surface, like ancient Mayan art. In fact, you know what it reminds me of, Ron? Remember what? the poster that Boeing put out with the astronaut climbing the hill on Mars oh, with yeah. the sunset behind him? Oh, sure. The the Martin Marietta poster. No, it was Boeing. It was Boeing. Boeing. Michael, was Boeing. Mike, Mike Barry. Okay. Mike Barra found it in a desk. An abandoned yes. desk at Boeing, and it was it was given to the president of the United States to commemorate his Mars initiative at the Smithsonian. Well, this artwork, this pillar, this decorated glyph on Bennu, together with your inset, which is some you know Costa Rican uh, adventure. Guatemala. Standing. Okay, Guatemala. Guatemala. Same thing. Looking at ancient Mayan ruins back in the 19th century, they look incredibly similar. This civilization, whatever it was, predated the Maya. When the Maya say their ancestors came from space, believe them. We have evidence. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Andrew, can I, are you still there? Yes. Okay. Uh, remember I asked you earlier to take a, isn't that a, isn't that sketch good? I mean, in terms of being a realistic portrayal of you mean, whatever. You, you mean your number, your number four? Yeah, the one number four. I mentioned to Andrew. I said that's the, you know they did incredible jobs. Oh yeah. Uh, well, it was their only way to. There was only way to record stuff. Photography of this yeah. era was terribly, weirdly primitive. Well, it was still pretty new, but you know this is this. Uh, it was a lot of work. General. You had to take a whole laboratory with you to get decent photographs and. Long yeah, well, Doctor. Yeah, well, don't worry, it's not a long thing. Doctor Maudsley was the uh, anthropologist that traveled all over that area in the 1890s, and uh, he took lots of great pictures, especially of areas like that. But they also had an artist with them, and this is not the one that was usually trailing around in his crew. They don't. They never mentioned who the those people. You know, they had somebody doing field sketches, and whoever this was, I I'm impressed. Because uh, Napoleon had supposedly the finest drawer, uh, drawer in all of France. <laughs> a drawer? Uh, along with him on his, yeah. Uh, well, he had a bunch of savants, and they, they all sketched. You couldn't become a savant without being able to draw. Yes, but they all flavored their drawings. It's like the drawings that were done in Egypt of monuments and so forth by that fellow who's name escapes me his name at least we know he was he was renowned in france and he did a terrible job from a field sketch standard uh in egypt because he just kind of improved and, and why is this relevant everything. to Benu? uh we don't have a lot well, of time no it's so looking at your number four looking at your number four looking at your number four it's the clearest artwork i've seen it also matches the idea that this is a relatively young spacecraft that has not been pummeled to death by eons of exposure to micrometeorites because I can mm -hmm. see several figures, visages, bilateral symmetry, 
very Mayan-esque kind of art. And it matches the idea in that article that's one of my, I think it's number eight. I think it's number eight. Let me mm -hmm. look, okay. Um, which says that the, uh, uh, yeah, I think it was my number eight. Hang on, hang on. This is real-time radio, folks. Don't want to give you a bum steer. Even real steers are dangerous sometimes. Um, you want to go to my number, yeah, number seven. That article which tries to explain the shapes, the cube octahedral eroded shapes, that these are spinning rubble piles. It says specifically that Ryugu is roundest at the equator. Bennu is squarish at the equator. And if you go down and look at my number 10, Steins, which is, you know, like mm -hmm. one point some miles, that's pretty sharp. It's like the younger, even younger. It looks like we can sort these objects according to age from exposure meteorites. And that young age for Bennu, relatively speaking, matches the amazing detail of the artwork in Ron's number four. Well, actually the other two black and whites uh, both have more of that because you know, but one, uh, both, yeah, both of them involve uh, 67P. Yeah, well, they we're looking at Bennu, completely different. Yeah, I know. well, yeah, well, I know they claim that uh, that uh, 67P is a comet. So, so then you, you know, have to ask yourself, what are the odds that NASA on all these missions would visit ancient spaceships and not real asteroids or comets? And the answer is improbable to say the least, because they they they, they had a target list. They're looking, you know, it's Keith Landing and his hidden mission. The hidden mm -hmm. mission of NASA, the reason Eisenhower set it up as a quasi-civilian agency, John, is to go out and get the goods, get the evidence for when it will be useful. And now they're leaking like a sieve. Yes, they are. There's a bunch of there are a bunch of factions fighting, apparently. Well, let's make our faction, you know, everybody win, which means I need volunteers to go to the Smithsonian and take close-up <laughs> pictures of the damn evidence. And well, I got several screwdrivers, and I'll, I'll be happy to load them into a – if I can get them through security, you know, I can – Well, I look, can, come on, come on, come on. What we want people to do – Yeah, show up with a – What we want people – Show up with a tool belt. What we, they probably you, you, like you, that, you, will, yeah. you will get arrested as being a terrorist. No, what you want to do nice. is send them digital images of screwdrivers and company addresses. Really, a <laughs> over-the-top campaign. Guys, here's to help you out. Here's where you can get – the right screwdriver and if we make thank it go you, viral say again yeah i said thank you that's perfect yeah no it, it will go viral because <laughs> people are yeah. so bored looking at their damn phones they're looking for constant new content i can get a mainstream network science writer to help us with the campaign i know exactly who i'm going to approach and having andrew sketch is really impressive yeah. uh I, I want to go back to Ron quickly because Ron yeah. did an overview of not only Bennu, but he's thrown in a couple of uh, Perseverance and Spirit images. And number six ah. has blown me away because, John, this is the same kind of architecture and mechanical assemblage we found at Bennu. He's found it on Mars. And I even know how big very it good, is. Very good. Yeah. Yeah, so, Ron, uh, go, go. My favorite okay, player. yeah, number, all right, to do them back, number, number five is just a boring 
pair of pillars or uh, perhaps obelisks that fell over somewhere in um, uh, Jezero Crater because it's a um, it's a perseverance photo uh, from uh, yeah a while ago as you can tell by the number uh, the first group of digits on those names for uh, perseverance and curiosity tells you which Saul it was. Right. So that was Saul 699. Did you notice uh, the ID number on your number five? The last three uh, digits? The last three digits. Let me see. Well, I'm looking right at it here. Uh, 1951. Yeah. That's no, 195J. So it's 19.5. Oh, right. Pillars. Yeah. They, they're doing everything but saying in four foot high Hollywood sign type letters, look here, look here. It, it's all about gold then? No, 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 no. Yeah. That's why gold is valuable because, oh, yeah. because symbolically, first of all, it really lasts forever. But symbolically, well, it it does, was, it it, in, in, in the ancient mutation of a high-tech terrestrial civilization where all knowledge of hyperdimensional physics or anti-gravity or pollutionless power, it comes down to the 19.5. And so these ritualists at NASA are underscoring the idea this is part of the ritual. 195, the physics, ancient civilization on Mars. Look at the pillars. Hey, Richard. Yes. But this kind of ties it it up for the – because I had a presentation uh, thing in the – in the order the uh, the number six which you even commented to me before the show uh surprised you yeah that's from spirit rover uh it's about the size of a medicine ball i'd say if people know what that you know one of those is yeah, yeah. and a super basketball it's, it's obviously no bit no medicine ball bigger than a basketball i said a super basketball much. and it's <laughs> obviously just a jumble of things a brushia. Well, it's a little more than that, but I think it's you know it's hard to tell what was, when you smoosh uh, stuff together. That's a brushia. Oh, all right, all right. Well, on the left of it, especially, uh, I was that I should say one thing. The reason the color is so strikingly different is because Opportunity and Spirit, those two little rovers over on, uh, elsewhere on Mars, were um, they had simple cameras. They couldn't take a color picture, so they had to do RGB. And unlike uh, the high-rise project, they didn't pick weird uh, wavelengths for the color band. And so it's you know it's like Technicolor. And uh, in fact, I have to subdue it a little bit on the images because it looks like a uh, um, uh, Fujifilm postcard or something. You know, they all do. But it, that includes the sky, by the way, because they had all these triplets. In there, in the their raw files, which are the three pieces you need to make a color image out of the black and whites, and they uh, you just pick one of them, even one they've never posted. Or so, what like should people look for on this image, Ron? Oh, on the uh, on the left, you've got some more what's obviously inscriptions. This is number six. This is Ron's number them. six. Yeah, I right, can't when you say obviously them. inscriptions, most people look at that and they see. Sandstone. Well, the, zoom in on it, and you'll see worn stand, sandstone, which the uh, and okay, the pattern. Make it bigger it, by clicking on it. Yeah, and the patterning on it is organized and rectilinear, 
at least as if it was, you know, words, glyphs, letters, something uh, run together. See, I like, the stuff in the, I like the stuff in the middle because it's obviously a yeah. smushed together bunch of mechanical parts. Looks like like screws and wing nuts. And I see uh, spiral, uh, uh, you know, grooves on the outside of a, of, of, of a screwdriver type thing. I see All organized true. geometry. Um, in other words, that to me is, remember, it only takes one white crow. Only takes yeah, one set of objects to the really, to your mind, unequivocal to make everything we've talked about real. Soft mm-hmm. break, half, it's bottom of the hour. Oh, I, Cynthia, guys, I'm going to have to pack it in, unfortunately. Uh, but John, you've been the life of the park. And, and, and highly entertaining. <laughs> oh, thank you, John, so much. And work on that initiative with the screwdrivers. Uh, well, I got, I got other initiatives. By the way, uh, Andrew, oh, I like yeah. the picture. Thank you for that, sending me that picture. That's very interesting. I think You're it's welcome, a tad John. more than interesting anyway. It's a, it's it's the uh, overlord of the solar system. <laughs> oh oh really? Oh interesting. It, it, like it was he, well, he's just territorial governor here. You know, he's just following orders. Oh interesting. <clears throat> Thank you, John. Thank you. Okay. Well, anyway, guys, it's been wonderful. I'm I'm sorry. I'm fading. No problem, and, John. And, but anyway, uh, Richard. Yeah. The thing you started back there in the '80s. It's coming to fruition. We're nearing the finish line, I believe. It is steamboat time. And in fact, one of the signs that it is, is that the government seems to be breaking up into factions. Oh, and there's much more to the HD drive story in orbit. You know who one of the backers are? Who? DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. This is why I think on the 9th of December of 2023, we're about to get real anti-gravity. You're on the other well, side of the night. My it, name it, is it, Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. The other side is midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Support the broadcast and don't miss another groundbreaking conversation. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side is midnight.com.
Welcome back, everyone, on this Saturday night, about a half an hour away from the witching hour here in the Land of Enchantment here in New Mexico. My guest tonight, minus one now, uh, John Brandenburg, really does favor by staying much longer than uh, he had planned to, uh, given his his cold. But I really thank him because, yes, I mean, we're looking at ancient ET technology, all my independent, you know, jury Looking at the same data, comes away with the same opinion. No one really shared any of this except over the last day or so. So it's really not uh, been seasoning very long. So um, let me let me go now to Ruggiero. Because Ruggiero, of course, is our British colleague on the other side of the planet. He gets up at the crack of dawn to uh, meet with us. He's a, uh, a podiatrist who has an incredible ability of sketching both medical and organic forms as well as technology. And after you sent me this, uh, uh, you know, uh, BBC article, see what you started? Aren't you happy? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Well, thank you, Richard. And uh, it was uh, great to, to hear John on board. I wish he could have stayed a little bit longer and, um, and you know, seen all the images of the show. Um, yeah, I, I was uh, outstanding when I, I, I saw that BBC article of just how vague it was. Um, you got a link, haven't you? What, was it, what number was it, Richard? Was it item six or something? No, it's number were, five. It's number five. Number five. My, my yeah, number I, five. Encourage, I encourage everybody to click on it and read it because it's extremely simplistic and it, it was like some little alarm bells. So I thought, I need to contact Richard and let you... Uh, have a look at this. I had no idea you're going to do a whole, whole show off it. It's opened a can of worms. <laughs> and, <laughs> well, aren't you, and I, don't you wish you were in the Washington, D.C. area? You could just bop down to the Smithsonian, oh, take a camera, and, and blow the doors off this thing? Because, again, another part of this is mm. when you take your pictures, your close-up pictures through the carefully arranged microscope they've set up for you to do that, you need to compare right. them, those photos, with what's on our screens tonight. Because if the bad guys get in there and switch the sample and make it just an ordinary piece of coal so that Mm. it's basically a big cover-up, you can catch them by comparing your live photo with what has been published all over the world over the last couple of weeks from the Smithsonian officially. Well, someone needs to get in there quick. We, you know, we, we see all over the, the net that uh, there's evidence that data appears in one form and then disappears as another. You know, it, it's countless. So let now, us, let, Andrew, let, let us go through your stuff because you've done an amazing yeah. job given the fact that you're way over there in the, in the Emerald Isle. So let's go to item number one. Click on Ruggiero under tonight's banner. Uh, and the banner, Cynthia will kill me if I don't do this properly. What you want to do is look for the banner, our second enterprise, Avi Loeb Challenge. You can see where we're going with this. 
He's the guy now that wants to raise another $10 million to find more ET artifacts at the bottom of the Pacific off Indonesia. All he has to do is take a train over to the Smithsonian or maybe a plane or whatever. Um, so it's called our second enterprise, Abbey Loeb Challenge, the Bennu ET Bonanza. NASA is desperately trying to cover up. So show us how, Ruggiero. You uh, sent me, Richard, after a little discussion, you sent me a close-up image, which is your number four, my number four, excuse me. Um, and uh, so I reproduced your item. No problem. And I, I looked at that, I was like, ah, what's Richard sent me? That's just a bunch of rocks. He's, uh, <laughs> he's clearly gone off in the wrong direction. And then I clicked on it and I went, oh my God. That isn't what I think I'm saying, is it? I think and, you, I think uh, you owe me a pint. I definitely do. It'll <laughs> be a pleasure. <laughs> and uh, you know what? I I was overwhelmed with the amount of detail in this image that I, for the first time, I I really struggled getting my my thoughts across on on. It's um, like there's not a natural paper. object in the field of view. No, they're so, all bits of shattered technology and circuits and geometric wiring and you know there's 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 a one up on the upper left hand middle which looks to be a cylinder inside of a spherical collar with with rust on it it's got beveling i mean you know wherever you look this is machine stuff this is technology it ain't a bunch of rocks from a damn asteroid yeah so why why was i was like well if I do a sketch and I kind of stuff it up and haven't haven't got the detail out like I normally do, I need another medium so people can see what I'm trying to draw. Um, and I I found image number one, which kind of reminds me of my glyphs actually, Richard. When you look at this circuit board, it's mm. like these are circuit boards. I put image number one up, which was one of the closest um, parallels I could find. Yep. So what what we're seeing here uh, in in this data. So we'll we'll just segue onto image number sorry let's seven, which is the there's a central feature. So it's basically your images is into three ah three three blocks, right? Right. If you went to to the bigger section. Now if you look at this image number seven and and zoom in. Um, you'll start to see not only what looks like, I think, computer circuit boards, but sort of very geometry, reoccurring geometric um, patterns. It's a three-dimensional lattice composed of wires and cylinders and geometric spheres and other curving and and, and, uh, commensurate parts with right angles. I mean, Mm. there's no way nature had anything to do with this. No way. This is the strangest rocks I've ever seen. <laughs> it's just, it, it, it looks like, it, it just looks like stuff piled upon stuff, and it reminds me of computer circuit boards. I have no other way to explain it. It just it looks massively like computer circuitry. That's why I, I, my first three images, I wanted people to first embrace and absorb what they look like you know, on design or virtual design and then go straight to this stuff and have a have a comparison because I've never seen anything like this on natural rocks. And if someone does, 
have natural rocks on Earth, please can they ping them our way so we can compare and contrast us with what the scientific method's about. So what, one of the features I loved is image five and image six, because we've got these reoccurring... This is the new section, right? Uh, my section, yeah. yeah. Oh, which is off of your image. Let's, yeah, let's num- no, number five looks almost like a um, jewel. Yeah. Well, looks, you know that advanced very... circuits have jewelry. They have they have spent rubies, uh, garnets, really? quartz. Right. Because these it, have it very looks... particular electric properties, and so they're integrated, pun intended, into integrated circuits these days. You know, circuits composed of these mm-hmm. kinds of crystals are, are now coming into their own here on Earth. Yeah, and it looks like almost gaming boards, like chess boards. Mm-hmm. And number, number six... You know, in the UK, we've got Christmas decorations, which you like a flat piece of foil, and then you pull them out, and they, they is it concertina, is that the word? As they come out, yeah, they reveal, yeah. like, the, mm-hmm. let's call them tetrahedral shapes, like a snowflake. And it just looks like the only thing we've got in comparison that seems to appear in the natural world is, is snowflakes it, with, with crystals, crystalline lattices. Yeah, the problem is we don't have one geometry here. We have a multiple series of geometries. Mm. And, mm. and it, you know, unless you smash a bunch of elements together and melt it, you're, on, you're only going to get crystals from the predominant mix of what, what, the, what the sample, what the rock is made of. Mm-hmm. Now, number so, number number six point two. This is where you actually did a sketch showing mm. the intricate geometry that you're seeing. Mm, that's right. And there's a that little that reoccurring feature. So six and then six point one. So in the uh, next to the diagonal line, or completely parallel to it, you'll see the little uh, reoccurring feature. It, it's that, as I said, that Constantina. Do you see it, Richard? Yeah, of course. Click on 6.1. You see that? that yeah. It's like a little... Well, it looks like uh, parallel plates. It's in pink. Whatever the material is, it's all mm. of one. It's pinkish as opposed to greenish and yellowish next to it. And it appears to be an organized, layered, plate-like geometry, maybe like a capacitor or something you know, crude like yeah. that, or maybe not. It, the point exactly. is, nature doesn't do this. No way, no way, no way, no way, no way. Uh, and when you click on 6.2, you can see that I've layered that in the yep. central left section. So I could re-sketch these and make them look better, but it, the geometry is, is... Well, the thing really that is so interesting there. to me is that we have mm-hmm. we have people, we have four or five people scattered mm-hmm. over literally you know, millions of square miles that are separating us. And we're all looking at this stuff and we're all seeing the same artificial geometric matrix. That's what juries do. Remember, juries look at evidence and then they go away and have a huddle and then they come out and they vote. Well, the vote tonight from everybody looking at this stuff is artificial. Do we have any natural rock pounds in the audience or on the panel that are going to insist that this is just natural rocks? I'm struggling. So. The silence you know, is deafening. No. <laughs> well, I, I thought Roger was going to say something. I, I do have someone that is my go-to uh, geologist that always complains about everything, but sometimes he has nothing he can say. So maybe he will. Maybe we can use him. Yeah. If, if anyone's struggling to see the, the layering that you talk about, Richard, is it, it goes out wider. It, it, 
you know, as it, as it segments down. I, I put a nice picture of Teotihuacan on, which other people do compare. <laughs> say it looks just like a, a circuit board. Your, your, your good friend Brian Forrester, who hasn't yet been on the show, needs to go on the show. Um, I'm after so him. I've got, I've got someone. Get him on. I've got him bird, bird dog. Yes, he will get on. So th- this is a lovely image to Teotihuacan, which kind of shows what it, would look like if we had a just a sharper image. I think it would look something like this lovely, you know, step pyramidy layering that we're we're seeing. Well, remember, here. this was this was not even a NASA photographer. This was a photograph that was taken by someone, probably a contractor, of oh. the of the of the debris on the pan above the sample cage they can't get into. And I just took yeah. that off the net and enlarged it, and did a few other, you know things that we do to, to enhance data and bingo the geometry just pops out separate from the object they gave to the smithsonian and wow. i and i really think andrew who is still with us uh you're absolutely right when you say that that's a cutaway they literally cut through a casing to show us uneroded gearing inside the housing yeah andrew's image is stunning it really is um and uh, I, I'm quite shocked that I'm seeing those three gears. I did see three circles, but I didn't take the time to draw it. And it's lovely he's brought it all out. Um, Looking just like the Ancathera mechanism. You know, exactly. I, I have to throw this in for Roger's uh, benefit. You just, Roger, you mentioned concertina as your model several That's times. The one. That's the word. Yeah, well, or an uh, accordion. Yeah, do you know? Well, wait, 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 wait. Do you know who invented the concertina? Huh? Uh, I believe his name was Charles Wheatstone, as in Wheatstone Bridge, the most fundamental electric, electronic circuit there is. Oh. It was it was his hobby. He invented he invented the concertina. He gets credit for it. Well, other than looking like a concertina or an accordion, the relevance of that musical instrument to tonight is not very high. It's an analog. It's a it's a metaphor. It's a you know if you're yep. grasping for something that you recognize, because again we're looking at geometry. We don't know the function of any of this stuff. None, yeah, zero. That's, that's and I would I imagine that there's a very advanced technology which, of course, has to be modulated by some kind of electronics, or maybe not. We don't. You know, what know. I was thinking, Richard, when I looked at this. You know, these are either rocks or they're not. If it was an advanced system, my hunch is it's a self-organizing system because it's so irregular. There's so much of it that it looks, from our tech, it's too difficult to do. Yeah, but you wouldn't on, do it without machines. tech. You know, think of think no. of, think of the nanotechnology mm. crowd. I met mm. uh, the father of nanotechnology at Stanford. Uh, he was an MIT guy. I met him at Stanford as part of the O'Neill Project looking at space colonies, this was decades ago. Now we have 3D printing. We have real nanotechnology. We're at the point where we might be able to do this if we really wanted to, if we had a reason. But somebody did it a long time ago, and NASA just brought a treasure trove home, and they're so flummoxed. Mm. You know, they're like the dog that caught the bus. They Mm. don't know what to do other than leak it out in a plausible deniability way, which means someone from this listening audience could go down in history, in official NASA history, as the citizen who brought to their attention 
damn it, you've got an effing piece of machinery in there. Mm. Mm. The cat is out of the bag, isn't it? If that's not a natural rock, completely. It's, it's not a rock. natural rock. Ah! Mm. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Richard Rajor, can I just... Yeah, it, it, so, just, yeah I'm going to come back to you. Yes, you're perfect time. Sorry, Richard. Sorry, Richard. I'll, I'll make this really quick. I, I, I really think... Well, I really think Rogero's... Um, oh, by the way, I like the way Ron says your name, Rogero. He calls you Rogero. So you're now becoming a wine, a very fine wine. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, no, I think what Rogero has brought out here in his drawings, which are um, great because they're pictorial, they're, they're, they're contours, right? And I believe this is circuitry because it's too... Yeah. It's too sophisticated and too intelligent to be crystal, in my opinion. Okay, and I'm not... remember my old meta model for all of this stuff, the stuff that Ron has found on Mars, the stuff that I found on Mars, stuff I found on the moon, stuff that we're seeing here in Bennu, the, the pieces in the rocks. It's nanotechnology because they were dealing with what I call smart architecture, right. meaning their but... buildings were alive. And would respond like the Krell ah. in Forbidden Planet to any wish their occupants could imagine, which means it's electronics that somehow can also tap into consciousness and wish fulfillment. And maybe Forbidden Planet is an exact copy of why our ancient ancestors aren't with us tonight. Maybe they shot themselves in the AI foot by creating a technology they could not control well richard i think you've i think you're kind of on the same well parallel track that i'm thinking so as i was looking at ruggiero's drawings and you know the cutaways it reminded me of um these experiments that uh i can't think of the researchers right now but when they take water and they play like horrid like music like oh, not yeah, even yeah. music. they are called kaladni diagrams and there's a japanese guy uh, yeah, that's right. Musical, continue, you'll remember. Emoto. 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 Yeah, thank you. Thank, see, having a broad generalist panel helps when you're having a mind fart. So, right. Emoto, <laughs> you, you can actually see the geometry imprinted by the frequencies. If you're going to respond and resonate to frequencies, you need to create circuitry which has the analog geometry of that which you're trying to plug into. At least that's what yeah. I'm thinking. Yeah, exactly. And when they played the beautiful concertos and, 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 and you know, a very highly sophisticated um, classical music, the water crystallization was absolutely alive and beautiful. And this is what this reminds me of, but not this, not like a snowflake, but way more like engineered, but trying to achieve the same kind of thing. So is, you know, is this a consciousness technology that is aspiring to raise the level humans or whatever, you know, we well, were at the ask yourself this question. We've now flown by a bunch of ancient spaceships. I tried to show in my items tonight. They range from a little over a mile down to about 1,500 feet. They all have the same damn geometry, a broken off, heavily eroded cube octahedron. What is it about a cube octahedral shape as a habitat, as a spaceship, as a floating orbiting city, as a place to put people, to keep them alive, to create a biosphere. What is it about that geometry interacting with the physics that mandates that we have all these different scales of the same 
hyperdimensional geometry? I can answer that. Good. That's why you're here. Octahedron, I, I looked it up. It has to do with matters of the heart and feelings, how we instinctively react to events in our environment. It symbolizes universal and unconditional love. It's about reflection, compassion, and healing. Resting on a point, it represents the careful balance, multiple forces. Yes. And these, yeah, and these things were well, in space. Well, in, in the Egyptian mot balance. Yeah. No. Absolutely, Richard. I think I think this is it. I think we're we're tapping into the like taproot of this thing. Now, is it possible we're looking at the one of the side effects of the Great War? Because all of the examples that we've shown have damage. Some of them are radical damage, like Stein's. The whole top has been whacked off. Is this part of was the war between consciousness and What's the opposite? Logic, uh, ruthless logic, AI logic. Uh, the opposite to what? Opposite of love is what? Oh, hate. Yeah. That's what they usually say. Except it, that means that means you have to have a polarity which is as strong, and I'm not thinking that that is the no. This is not hate. the opposite of love would be lacking compassion completely. Yes. right. So and, log- and, and go back to our yeah. conversations with Matthew and my playing right. of Colossus, the Forbin project, where Colossus, the super AI computer developed in the film, decides to threaten elimination of humankind because they don't fit the plan. They're not logical. They are a detriment to their own survival. So this AI consciousness says, I will eliminate that which is not perfect, which I am, if you get out of line. That's the future, which we were trying to talk about by having Matthew, and we're going to have him back in another couple of weeks with a really interesting guest. We'll be talking about the role of AI in the coming crucial election. Well, Richard... Oh, sorry. I just, what, what, yep. sorry, straight after me, Andrew. Um, we mentioned it on the previous show before, but there's the movie Moonfall, which ha- goes back to a, a history where um, humanity has to spread out across the galaxy um, due to AI that went wrong. And that the moon was hollow. Sounds like they were reading their scripts off of your shows, Richard. And that the moon is hollow, and inside was a time capsule. Um, if you haven't seen the movie, everyone needs to watch it. What's the, what's the title? Moonfall. Moonfall. It was out. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I, that was it was it was run on the networks about a year ago. Yeah, I saw it in the cinema. Ridiculous, but very good film. Well, the very um, end is basically our model. You know, they steal. Remember, yeah. you know, poor poets plagiarize, great poets steal. The major film um, companies have been stealing from us for years, starting with Terminator, <laughs> which I was told by a executive at Fox was actually taken from the monuments of Mars. Of course, I didn't get a dime. Careful, James Cameron will sue you, or was it Harlan Ellison? Yeah, they both... Andrew was going to say something. Yeah, yeah, I want to... I know where... Dr. Joseph Farrell, I've heard him speak about a particular um, entry in in the Old Testament um, from Ezekiel, and then there's a bunch of different... uh, actually passages in the Bible that talk about the same things. And it's a description of Satan and what he wears, which are tabrets and pipes. 
So this is from Ezekiel 28, and there's time to read this. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold, the workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes, was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Ezekiel 28, 13-14. Now Joseph suggests that this could be a description of machinery. Now in the Bible, other other people say, no, 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 it's musical instruments. But I'm telling you, Richard, there's something yeah. about this AI that you were tapping into here and a satanic force that might just be so logical and be, you know, and with no more compassion or, or not even equipped with it. It's very interesting. Many, many years ago, and we're basically coming up to the break at the top of the hour, Kinsey, I'm watching. There was a brilliant writer called Fred Saberhagen. And what Saberhagen prognosticated was that there would be ultimately an AI that would basically be moving around the galaxy and it would be destroying human uh, consciousness because it literally could not stand to have competition. The berserkers. Yeah, that's what, what they were called, the berserkers. Yeah, that's been that's been used elsewhere as well. They're um, yeah, they they were destroying technology that wasn't themselves. Anyway, we're at the top of the hour. Yeah. My guests this morning: Ron Gerbron, Andrew Curry, John Brandenburg was with us at the top of the show. We've got Ruggiero Kahlo, and uh, who am I missing? I don't think I'm missing anybody. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. Continue in the next hour. If you want to call us, I'll give out some numbers and you want to join the conversation. If you're in the D.C. area, make a note. If you get to the Smithsonian and get the pictures, you get the prize, which is you save the human race. We shall return. The other side of midnight.com. Talk radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Listen while you travel or as an environment to your endeavors. Eight cents an episode, two and a half cents per hour of content. The other side of midnight.com. Thank you. 
And we're back here now, past the witching hour in the land of enchantment, just north of uh, the Trinity site where 70-some years ago the atomic bomb was tested. Are we being tested again? Is there a parallel between what they don't want us to know about who and what, that in the words of the New York Times 1961 front page story, NASA scientists speculate discovery of extraterrestrial life could kill civilization. So back to our conversation. Uh, you guys remember, I'm sure, and I'm turning the microphone up there, the whole idea of, of finding on the Apollo 17 imagery what I call Data's head or C-3PO's head in the bottom of Shorty Crater and the fact that it looked exactly like an android, like a, like, like a version of C-3PO. And I speculated over the years, many times, that if they brought it home, and they could find out a way to talk to it, to match whatever algorithms or whatever geometric hyperdimensional connections it embodied, they would be able to leap thousands of years ahead of contemporary terrestrial civilization because such a sentient member of a vast intergalactic species, every single robotic persona would store the entire history of its race, succeeding races, preceding races, the entire galactic history of humankind and God knows who else. Is that what we're on the threshold of unearthing tonight? Who wants to take a whack at that? Um, I don't, but I'll, I could uh, reference Prometheus. Ruggiero, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. So doesn't the, it's the robot that goes a little bit, um, the assistant in Prometheus, it goes a little bit wacky? Have I got the right movie? Yes, absolutely. Um, and well, he, he, he tries to kill the crew, doesn't he? He's a... He's a He's a, well, he's talking about aliens? No, I kill, no, 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 no. I, I, think, I, I think he's thinking about 2001 and Hal. But remember, there are only 35 plots, so they recycle plots. So in Prometheus, mm-hmm. you have the um, robot, the, the mm-hmm. humanoid android robot, try to kill the crew, just like Hal, to keep the secret. And he annihilated the engineers, Ruggiero, didn't he? With the, he did. with the black goo, yeah, 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 mm, yeah. So, envy um, has no bounds. <laughs> no, no. Now you know what? I, um, my my major point on this, as, as you brought it up, Richard, um, what, of what we're seeing today, this this uh, this data, I'll call it, is I just can't wait to see a really HD close up of what Andrew's going to draw. When, when when that image comes in, you know I'm, I'm going to say they were bated breath and uh, just I can't wait to see it. That's basically what I'm going to say because I think it's well, going to be profound. Well, as I found. said, it, all it takes is an intrepid person with the right camera to go to the Smithsonian, go to that exhibit, take some close-ups, and send them to us. 
That's all it takes. And I think Nelson and company have done this deliberately. I cannot remember a faster trek Apollo data from Houston to the general public in terms of physical artifacts, you know, photographs, you know, hard copy of the press reproduced in magazines, newspapers and all that television, mm. but hard objects given for display, even the NASA, the moon rocks took yeah. months and months and months before they got, you know, uh, you know, organized to send samples around the world. And Nixon gave out little trinkets to uh, visiting dignitaries in the uh, National Cathedral, put a speck of moon dust in a, uh, a stained glass window in the uh, front of the nave of the National Cathedral, uh, with, by the way, a very interesting artwork of an astronaut. Nothing to, to uh, exceed the rate at which somebody said, oh, my God, here's a golden opportunity to get the real data in front of the people and get out completely in terms of plausible deniability, because if we respond to them seeing something, we're off the hook. Yeah, and you know what, Richard, there's a really important point I want to make. When I sent you that, that BBC um, article off of their website, on their main page, one of the news feeds, it says, is this the most dangerous um, space object on Earth? Well, this is, a, oh. is this the most dangerous rock in the universe? And then you click on the page. It doesn't say that. It, no. It goes to your item, which is number number six, was it? Number five. NASA delivers teaspoon of asteroid. Yep. Where you, you have to backtrack and go, and I wish I saved the, the BBC one. It's probably on there somewhere. You backtrack, go to the main BBC news, go to science, go to space rocks, and, it, and it, the headline is, is this the most dangerous <laughs> article? <laughs> well, remember, they, 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 they hire headline writers specifically to get clicks. It's mm. not called clickbait for nothing. No, no. That's misleading. Well, yeah, because it's, major... it's basically spreading more fear porn. Oh, outer space. We must be afraid. <laughs> and then the other thing, which is you weren't, you weren't able to make the, uh, the show where I did the – and I wish John stayed on board here – where um, I did the updated um, Face on Mars sketch, the, the Cydonia sketch. Now, what I said to Kim on that show, and for any members of the public who weren't able to listen in, is like, the image we have, the new high-rise image, shouldn't be better. It should be worse. And it's unbelievably better, which is why I was able to do a so much better sketch than the first one. Well, I, I think Ron will say, as I think he's going to yeah. say, it's because they've lightened up on the filters. They're letting us see more real data. Right, Ron? Well, okay, close. Yeah, I, I noticed, uh, and it did start with, uh, it actually started with Mars stuff. But the, uh, a, a couple of years ago, it's, it's more than a week past, but it was a couple of years ago, NASA started back, uh, backing up or updating their archives. So I was uh, looking for one of what I considered excessively challenging images to try and fix somehow, which was a Viking image. And I mean, they were ridiculous. And I can remember hearing Richard screaming about them uh, practically on Art Bell's show uh, about how they were just like pasted together like a bad stamp collection, you know, the little pieces of 
pictures that they have together on. Um, oh, it was um, such an amateurish effort of making seamless mosaics. You had to say that it was done deliberately to make everybody pay attention to see what was falling between the cracks. Right. And so lo and behold, they have, mo in most cases, for Pathfinder and even Viking, although they, you know, they only had a small number of pictures, um, Pathfinder, which had the egregious mosaics, the uh, dating them with corrected ones, nice ones. Oh, yeah. Proof that they started all over and did a nice job. And there's, in fact, a few of the old ones that are missing. They kind of put them in the same old-fashioned uh, web frame and everything else. Uh, but, yeah, these are updated versions. And some of the old ones that I guess they couldn't fix or they had lost the original uh, material are, are missing. They're just not part of it. You know, they re fixed it. And they were then they did it to the um, project that was... Well, remember all the, of the, the Apollo images. The, Ron, and, Ron, Ron, the NASA yeah. mantra, when disclosure descends from the heavens, has to be, we never concealed anything. It was always there. You just didn't look. And so they've been Very, quietly replacing mm -hmm. the bad stuff with amazing stuff. Like when you go to the lunar archive, the uh, Apollo lunar uh, surface projects website which is attached to headquarters you get stunning images from apollo of astronauts which if you take them into a photo program and simply increase the saturation the moon suddenly turns into a cornucopia of allen bean-like painting color mm -hmm. and i've been sending yeah. you know, copies of those around over and over and over again and no one has really gotten back and said Holy crap, Batman! That shouldn't happen. Richard, look at um, look at the stuff I sent you on um, the Chandrayaan three when the rover is is descending. Uh, do you remember those images? We unfortunately didn't put them through on on our show links. Yeah, of course I remember them. Yes, and and there's there's stunning color you know it's green and bits of purple and especially when you just up the contrast if you've got an apple mac anyone can do this because of prismatic refractions in the glass dome overhead and i don't know how many copies of images i send around of amateurs now with really uh, average telescopes and good cameras that are photographing the dome all over the moon from earth and i send them around and they it's like sending stuff into a black hole nobody comments Nobody says, Batman, that shouldn't be there. Inde independent confirmation from people that have never met, never will meet, publishing from opposite sides imagery of the moon taken with a backyard Mead or Celestron telescope. Yeah, you would well, think that's, that's, that the, uh, I just want to say you would think that all those amateur astronomers would want your uh, help because they are extremely, as a group, everything you see anyway, very ethical, you know, in a way that NASA is not. I mean, they give, they give all the data about stuff. They're proud that they have this part or that part, and they balance things. And so, you know, they probably feel justly somewhat assaulted every time they're just dismissed as, oh, they're just amateurs. Well, actually not, because NASA has a whole bunch of arrangements with these amateur astronomers. The name is now shifted to citizen scientists. And ah. with a whole bunch of missions, they are inviting the expertise, the public, 
the 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 talented amateur, the the citizen scientist with the computer and the telescope or with the search program, the ability to look at lots and lots of NASA data and look at patterns and all that. And they've actually come out and asked the public, the citizen scientists, uh, Ron, you and I discussed this the other night, mm-hmm. some, some years ago, they, they actually came out and asked, I think about Percy, you know, uh, what should they be looking for? Something like that. Anyway, we're so close winning, but I think it has to be done in a certain way that gets NASA off the hook from ever covering anything up. So they have to play the dumbness card. Either independent citizens will see this at the Smithsonian and go, holy crap, Batman, and send in their pictures, or AI, because generative AI is coming up very fast on the inside track. Maybe the, uh, 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 you know, Google's new Gemini AI program, which is apparently a lot better than ChatGPT, there's now a competition among AI programs, and it's only a matter of time until someone gives these AIs a mission to compare ruins on Earth with ruins on Mars, the moon, and asteroids, and it will be AI that NASA will say, well, look at that. We couldn't see it with our human frailty, but AI says it's there, so it must be. They're teasing the topic with things like that recent release of the old Corona spy satellite photos that show archaeological sites all all over the world that they've been able to see with the incredible cameras that were on those spy satellites. Yeah, a lot taken in Iran. Yeah, there's some amazing yeah, that, stuff oh, that in stuff Iran. Is really, oh, oh, just extraordinary. Which looks, yeah, in but, some areas, like what we're seeing on Mars. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, it should if the Martians and the Bennu and Ryugu civilizations predated the last transfer of people and knowledge from out there to here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to, I have not had a chance to make my normal every chance I get uh, to take a gentle swipe at Michael. Malin, <laughs> the uh, he, uh, yeah, he's uh, uh, anyway, yeah. Well, Malin, Malin lost me when he attacked viciously Arthur C. Clarke and called him a you know ancient old man, dismissing yeah. his comments about life on Mars and in the in the imagery that Malin was curating. What Zahi Hawass is to of Giza. Uh, Malin is to the true nature of the solar system, but I noticed something back in the 90s looking at um, uh, his, at the global surveyor images, and then they got better, and he was still around when they, when they, even when they landed Curiosity, and I kept saying to myself, how do they frame these? You know, NASA is five minutes away for a radio wave. Uh, or I mean, the Mars is, and so how are they framing all these images? Well, I came up with a, you, you uh, mean how how the spacecraft was taking them on the surface? Yeah, and right, taking them on the surface, and then when they started dropping rovers, uh, almost inevitably, and people have to remember this was a you know a, a seat of the pants level situation when you got to the rovers because you couldn't control them live. Like he could have drone flying. Oh no! It was like a twenty-minute time delay, one way. 
Yeah, right. And yet they were ta- they were taking stuff that was so beautifully framed. Now you can give a, some of that over to whatever AI they had built into the probes, just like the satellites. But well, this it, is uh, remember it's going logarithmically. Back when Curiosity and Percy were set down on Mars, they didn't have AI. Come on, they yeah. they barely well, first, they barely with lasers could drive unattended across a hundred meters of surface slowly. Right. Right. Well, I don't want to lose the focus of this point, but the uh, yeah, remember there's the twenty year rule that whatever we think they have, they're twenty years ahead of that. It's just they don't like to reveal it. But so they and they had something. Certainly they had some. But the point is that just from a visual artistic standpoint, the stuff was framed too well. The thing was right in the center, et cetera, et cetera, except for things like the face, you know, where the, uh, they must. I think Well, they why is that a mystery? Because remember, they would uplink instructions every day on a 24 mm-hmm. hour, 66 minute, uh, uh, you know, Martian Sol. The Martian mm-hmm. spin rate is slightly you know, uh, slower than ours. And they would they would look at the photos from the previous day, design a, a, a package to send up through to the computer on the spacecraft and instruct it to automatically drive and take pictures. And obviously if they saw something on the first day and they didn't post it, they could ask the computer to frame it better on the second day. And that's why the stuff they, they put out looks perfectly framed because they had warning. They had a preview of days or even weeks ahead of time. Well, exactly. And of course, personally, I think that the preview they had for the Global Surveyor was the original Mars. Um, was it Mars? The Odyssey. title was the one yeah, that disappeared. Yeah, that was, yes, which yeah. disappeared just as it got to Mars. Isn't that interesting? Ladies and gentlemen, today's the day that it'll go into Mars orbit. Oops, we lost it. Yeah, I did a press you know, conference just, at the uh, National Press Club that afternoon. Yeah. Oh, God. Basically yeah. saying and that they had, they'd a, just taken it dark. They'd taken it black. Because remember, those so spacecraft... They could get an advanced look. Those spacecraft were yeah. the first spacecraft where you could literally have three guys in the basement with a home computer and run the damn spacecraft from there. You mm-hmm. didn't need thousands of people all over the world. Right. Well, that, that legacy continues in that... Like Malin is closely connected with Curiosity still, less so with Percy apparently. And uh, I know you keep saying they're in the same building, but the pictures and the feel of everything are very different. Curiosity, just quietly during the pandemic, pretty much switched to black and white imagery. You know, they they, they stick in an occasional close-up shot with their Molly camera. The color can't be any other way. Uh, but all those uh, wonderful things that you could build panoramas from, black and white. And they said, oh, well, don't worry. We have an algorithm that fixes that. <laughs> well, according to according to Holger Eisenberg, who I wish was with us tonight, just because he gets into this kind of stuff. And he tried it. He tried their, he tried their software that you supposedly can download. And it doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. So it's uh, the illusion of transparency. Gosh, what right. other government? What other government agencies might be practicing the same thing? The illusion of transparency. It's like the it's like the no rhymes whatsoever clash song, which is these are your rights. Remember your rights as long as you don't actually try to use them. Mm-hmm. You know the um, yeah, and 
So that's fascinated me for all these years, how they go out of their way to take these wonderful pictures. And then they give us screwed up, smeared, uh, misprinted, et cetera, versions of them uh, to work with in the public sector. And yet academia on most of the time, when you read, if you read some of those papers that are written about all the Mars details and so forth, they'll have illustrations. But they're getting them through a different pipeline. They're getting much cleaner versions. So usually the ones that have all of the uh, fallacious scale bars and uh, things like and superscripts and annotations printed over them uh, for in some technical paper, the picture behind there is better than the raw image can generate that's available to us. I know because I go find those pictures. Uh, and... So yeah, it's it's a, it's they're playing games with us. Just right along, they're playing games with us, and um, I think that the aforementioned scientist is you know, well aware of this. I've had a run-in with his. Company. You mean Mailer? Uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, never met him. Met uh, met his uh, Ken Edge, his uh, cohort and partner. Uh, nothing against the extraordinary science that both of them do, and the beautiful cameras that mail in designs, but they're messing with us. And I think he's working on a coffee table book. So he may be getting a little frustrated at this point that it might actually leak out before he can be the one that presents it to everyone. I mean, I have some of those misgivings about um, Abby Loeb too, because I think he doesn't like competition for his position as I'm going to be the one that tells everybody what's really there. Well, he could be, and if I, he was honest, but he is completely ignored. The Abilobe Challenge number one, which was artifacts yeah. in the moon rocks, which is so testable. Nobody I've shown those close-ups to doesn't see the, the, the engineering, the machines. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So the second well, now is, is Bennu, which, of course, is even more of a mystery box because um, I think they very carefully went in. They realized what they had. They realized it wasn't on the timeline yet. You know, who ordered this? Uh, I can't believe they really didn't know that's what they were going to get back. Because all you have to do, hint, hint, Ron, is look at some mm -hmm. of your exteriors. And it's obvious we have broken crockery, broken machines, broken architecture, and broken promises all over the damn surface of Banu. Ooh, that's quotable. Uh, I, um, it's on tape. Especially the, yeah, okay. Well, there's that. Yeah, especially the broken crockery part. Uh, no, I uh, there. I completely agree. They're messing with us, and they're pretending that they're not. And the uh, the stain that was left on their reputation by the crash test dummies of, over Roswell uh, that failed the mildest fact checks uh, is faded into the distance. They're they're working on a whole new level now, so they must must be running a little scared. But um, when you look at Malin sitting on the mock-up of his uh, probably full-color uh, coffee table book with all of these <laughs> beautiful pictures of, of Mars, uh, and uh, you know anybody else in the background that thought they were going to get their moment in the sun. No, you got to get this straightened out first. It's got to come out. I mean, Malin is the Zahi Hawass of the uh, space program. But frankly, you know, I think we're still ahead. In the race, because remember, it's not just the pictures. We've been putting out pictures mm -hmm. for decades. Mm -hmm. 
people are not responding most to the pictures because they don't know what they're looking at. They will respond to the story. And we have put together the story, which with a private space program, a la the HD drive on Barry 1 in Earth orbit tonight, that they're about to turn on, that technology coupled with a CubeSat with a damn decent camera, and we can blow the doors off the entire NASA solar system cover-up for pennies on the dollar. Mm-hmm. Oh, that uh, a, a word about the ancient war. You just reminded me. Okay. The uh, yeah, my my meme, my metaphor for all of this uh, stuff relative to the asteroids, where they're not really asteroids. They're the re- they're what's left of. Well, wait, 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 wait. We don't know that because we we've, we've been visiting in my model a tailored selection, only the spaceships. We haven't really gone except maybe a distant flyby of real asteroids. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, there's real asteroids, for and, heaven's sakes. But why are they picking the ships to go park, Because it's, park it's ancient archaeology. They want to learn what their ancestors were capable of. Yeah, and science. So they, how do they know this in advance? Speaking of that advanced look they got from Mars Odyssey of where they wanted to target um, the global surveyor for the public's view. No, 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 no. You have to divide it into various epochs. The first solar system explorations were flybys, followed by orbiters, followed by landers. I am wondering, I've gone back and looked at the archives for Mariner 4, which was my Uh first foray into government policies and politics and NASA at very high levels there at the museum in Springfield, doing my Peabody-nominated six-hour radio show the night Mariner 4 flew by Mars. And when you look at the selections, the choices that Leighton and other chief scientists made, we've been told for decades that because of the luck of the draw, they flew by the boring side of Mars with Mariner 4, the interesting side, which was on the other side of the planet, 180 degrees away. How well, did they know? Well, A, how did they how, – because I think it was targeted – because they already mm-hmm. knew they did not want the first major NASA mission to Mars to show the ancient stuff that Lowell had written about. So they picked the, the, the dumb side. The only way they could have picked the boring side is if they had pre-launch knowledge of what was on Mars. And that comes from secret societies and lineal traditions and ancient worship, Anunnaki, etc., etc., etc. And I know Keith is asleep because I said the magic word and Keith has not come to the floor. So he's sleeping peacefully. No. Okay. We are literally two minutes away from the bottom of the hour. Why don't we kind of take a pause here and think about what it is we want to use the last half hour for. I'm going to get some calls in maybe. Andrew has a stunning story about David Copperfield. You are not going to want to miss and ron will have commentary rogero yes, i'll interrupt i'll interrupt as usual uh, as usual yeah. anyway you're on the other side of midnight my name is richard c hoagland and we shall return
theothersideofmidnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side is midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, on this Saturday night. Grading now into Sunday morning here in the Land of Enchantment. The Other Side of Midnight. See, Other Side of Midnight sounds like it's an end. No, this is a new dawn. All these pieces together. We will have a power as powerful as the incredibly negative forces tearing apart the Middle East tonight and Ukraine and all the other hotspots and points of tinder think Taiwan around the world. The only thing big enough to make the human race pause in its insanity is the possibility that there is somebody else out there with a bigger stick and we all should wise up together as fast as possible to confront what humans have always feared, the unknown, which is sitting in a display case in Washington tonight, waiting for our listeners to go and take its picture. Okay, last half hour, Andrew, I want you to talk about the David Copperfield experience because if, if, if this isn't a hallmark time and the idea that you can present the most astonishing amazing extravaganzas and people would go oh oh, um, what's next Andrew yeah well that's one of my concerns and I know I was you know complaining to you about this the other day saying that you know we we discuss these topics we discuss these I mean this is beyond extraordinary the kinds of things we're talking about and and many others and showing we've got evidence exactly but it's almost, Richard, that like I, I swear an armada of aliens could arrive above our cities and people wouldn't even bother looking up. You really they just wouldn't so. look up. What's that? You really think so? Well, I, it's it, – so I it, uh, two weeks ago, uh, I was in Las Vegas. I was there for uh, actually a, a baseball tournament for my, my youngest son. He's on a travel team. And uh, oh man, that high desert gets cold during the day, even though the sun's out. But welcome but it was a lot to of my neighborhood. Well, it was a lot of fun. Um, but anyways, my my wife said, "Hey, I want to go see a show," and I and I'm not a Las Vegas person. I, like I told you, Richard, I'm driving those highways and trying to make sure I don't, you know, fly off 
you know, miss my, my, my exit or whatever, because I'm staring at the mountains, or so-called mountains, surrounding Las Vegas, which look like repeating geometrical shapes over mm. and over again, and that's where I'd like to drive to. But anyways, in the, in the city, she said, hey, I want to go see a show. So I said, okay, well, what do you want to go see? And she says, well, I, when I was a little girl, she was like seven or eight, she used to um, love David Copperfield. She said, you know, she was really wanting to see this. So I said, okay. So we went, got tickets, and we went to the um, MGM Grand Hotel and Casino, which is where it was, and and uh, went into this place. And it was my first time ever seeing a show. And out comes uh, Copperfield, and yeah, you know, he's older now. You know, he, he's uh, uh, but still a very distinguished guy. Um, but he was kind of um, what was the he was a little facetious, you know, with people. Like one of the things he said, Richard, was, you know, he was kind of giving us instructions. Like one of the first things you have to do in the show is, is there's a box on each table. And he says, you must put your uh, cell phone and any kind of recording device in that box because it's a sacrosanct to, you know, you can't record anything, right? This is uh, highly copyright, co- copyrighted. So we did that. In and amongst his sort of descriptions and what he was going to do, he sort of said, and at this point in the show, you're going to stand up and and give a standing ovation and clap. And I, I mean, it was a joke. It's, you're supposed to laugh at that moment. Like, you know, he's, he's sort of telling you, you know, hopefully you're going to do this for me. But um, I, people are just sort of sitting there numb. You know, it's like they need the instructions to behave. It's unbelievable. So anyways, the show goes on. And the guy was pulling off extraordinary feats. Now, this is a show that's been going on for a few years, and it really centered around his father, who, by the way, Richard, because uh, he did some investigating into his dad's history. I think he was estranged from his dad. He kind of spoke about it. I mean, I, I, I sort of described the show as as a catharsis. Well, his dad was in the Air Force or Army Air Corps, yeah. and then when they made the transition in 47 to the Air Force, but he was in the Army Air Corps back in 43 – and he was stationed at Roswell. <laughs> yeah, I know. So he built this whole show around, I guess, in his own heart, a reconciliation with his father, right? Oh because I think, yeah, because there was this whole thing about this note that he didn't read. And, you know, and, and it was his father who really gave him his inspiration to become, because at one point when he was 12, he threw all of his, his gadgets, his inventions, his drawings in the garbage can. And it was his father. Who, his, he was just upset. He says, I'll never be able to be a magician, you know, et cetera, et cetera. He was a kid just be, almost on the verge – well, on the verge of becoming a teenager, you know, basically a pre-adult. And his father, the next morning – he went to bed. The next morning, he found all of his materials in his room on his desk. His father had recovered it, and he wrote a note, and I'm going to misquote it. But basically, he said, whatever you can imagine, make it happen. You can ima- If you can imagine great things – and this is what we're talking about, Richard. You can make it happen. Now, of course, Copperfield's doing it with sleight of hand, and you know, there, there's tricks going on. But that's understood. But he was pulling off well, extraordinary. Wait, wait, wait. I mean, describe what he pulled off in front of a live audience that you can't figure out how he did it. Okay, so I'll, I'll describe the very last one because I know we're, we're we're getting short of time. So his whole show was revolving around his father. And and uh, he had this puppet come on, this little alien. Like you know, I think you described it, Richard, when I was describing it to you as, as Elf. Oh, it was show. Elf. Remember, there was an NBC yeah. television show about a pet alien that lived in this middle class family, and they couldn't let him out because they didn't want to know he was there. But he yeah. would wisecrack and interact, and it was getting people used to the idea 
of a human-like alien that did not look human. And that's exactly what this little thing was doing. It was kind of wisecracking and going on. Excuse me. Anyways, um, at the end, this little alien was attempting to find his way home. Now, why was the alien there? <laughs> well, because his father worked during that time. You know, so at the end, as it, it was a war started to conclude at Roswell Army Base. So he's kind of stringing these things together and. And one of the most interesting things was, is he had this sort of heart to heart with the puppet, you know, and I think as, as you said, Richard, you know, often these, these puppets are, are, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're avatars to, you know, speak our own true exactly. feelings. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and the, and the puppet or the, 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 you know, the alien said, I came to your planet to spread love and my mission has failed. And the whole place went really quiet, oh right? Like, yeah, it was very interesting. But anyways, in the wow. end. The lights go out briefly, and then they blink on. And in the in the theater, right above my head, is a massive spaceship. Now it's a prop, of course. And how he manifested it, I'm not even sure. But I'm telling you, the reaction is like, oh well, yeah, okay, ha ha ha, you know, in a polite applause. And I'm telling you, Richard, I, I'm like, what is it going to take? So to is make that me- where he had to tell the audience this is a standing ovation? Well, it was a little bit after that because there was a video of the ship leaving Las Vegas, which, by the way, and, and this is something that Keith Lane and I used to talk about. Apparently, Las Vegas is known for – I think Ron might have something to say about this – for our visitors or our cousins coming and like, spending some time there. So it's kind of apropos that – Well, think of shore leave. If you're yeah, secretly yeah, exactly. at Area 51 up the street, maybe you want a little shore leave and they – you know, the government kind of helps you clandestinely. I mean, are there really very weird people in Vegas? Is the Pope Catholic? <laughs> well, there are a lot of characters. There's no, there's no doubt about it. And, and and the place is recovering. You know, they they were suffering after the COVID thing, but it, they're they're coming back big time. But no, it, it's what concerns me is that people like. I mean, there was a standing ovation at the end. I mean, it was fairly spontaneous, but. But just the fact that people well, he gave him enough hints. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I mean, Richard. And I and I and I. It's like I don't know what it's going to take to get people from not being distracted. It's it's almost like you know people are there just because. Well, well I should when be you, here. When you when you read the Forbes piece, which is my number what seven, I think it's number seven. Uh, to, you know, which talks about the space drive in orbit and the background of the company. And remember Forbes. Is, is squeaky clean. They're not going to go for airy-fairy New Age stuff. And right. the experiment is backed by DARPA. So I think this is it. This is when it's steamboat time. That thing in orbit, when it turns on, it will shatter every normal paradigm that says you can only get there with rockets. And in the piece, some of the people involved say, but even if it works, the public will not believe it. So I am you know, heading a one-man campaign to get to uh, Mansell, who was the head of the company. I've got people working on getting him directly in touch with me before they come out with the results because their fallback position, if they don't, if they raise the orbit of this non-rocket, you know, uh, carrying spacecraft by 60 miles, what is the opposition? What, what are the naysayers, the skeptics, the tools the trolls, what are they going to say when the entire world, all these warring governments are going to monitor the same damn thing and say, 
oh my God, they're doing it. If they, at that point, meet resistance where the New York Times does not make it, you know, banner headlines, you know, uh, HD technology barrier broken, uh, ET technology is within human grasp, or something like that. My recommendation to the head of the company is send the damn thing to the moon. Send it 240,000 miles from Earth orbit into lunar orbit and take pictures, if it's got cameras, of it orbiting the moon. If it doesn't have cameras, the world tracking intelligence agencies, the Russians, the Chinese, the Israelis, the South Koreans, whatever, the U.S., will guarantee to promulgate, oh, my God, it's now orbiting the moon, and there's no way that can be faked, so we will enter the new era. Keep in mind, this comes with stunning, positive, Earth-saving technological implications for everything else we're worrying about tonight, including the Israelis trying to eliminate the Palestinians and vice versa. Well, Richard, on the topic of the moon, um, that was the, one of the last things that Copperfield said is he made an announcement, and I included it in my items. It's item number three. It's a trailer if you want to see it later on. Okay. And what he has basically said is he's going to make the moon disappear on February the 24th, 2024. And the trailer kind of just goes into that a little bit. Um, but if you look at the, the thumbnail, it's very interesting. Just on a side note in my items, take a look at the color of the moon that's in the thumbnail that Copperfield's walking on. Like that's the image. Okay. Clicking. Coming up. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. He's giving the game away. Yeah. Now, let me tell you, folks, how he's going to accomplish this. Because as, as uh, uh, Andrew and I discussed, uh, I think it was yesterday, mm-hmm. if people anywhere in the world look up and the moon is there one minute and a microsecond later it's missing, people are going to go nuts. Mm-hmm. They're absolutely going to go nuts. Now, how could Copperfield, a very good magician, but come on, he doesn't have an entire space program behind him, how is he going to make the moon disappear? What if the ancient lunar dome, which I can prove, God, I should bet some money on this. I would make out like a bandit, exists around the moon, which, of course, is what the color is all about, refraction and glass. What if the ancient dome was not passive, like an inverted salad bowl? What if it was active, a dynamic technology, both electrical optical and hyperdimensional and our guys over the last remember 50 years since apollo with the secret space program they found the control center they found a way to make it work and they're going to literally with with copperfield being the front man when he makes the moon disappear they throw the switch and it goes poof fears why because like all current AI-based invisibility technologies, if there are cameras on the far side of the moon, like cameras on the far side of an F-16, and you've got the front side covered with LEDs, so you transmit an image from behind the vehicle to the front of the vehicle where people are looking, 
You can literally paint a picture on the LEDs on the front so that it melds into the background and it appears as an electronic illusion that it disappears just like that huge, spherical, amazing dome theater in the middle of Las Vegas with almost a million pixels that become anything the programmers want to put on the damn screen. And that was a spectacular sight as well, Richard. It was very Did you go? Did you go to the show? Well, no. We oh, didn't no. Have time. No, I just could see it from, you know, fairly close and from distance that there was just changing images on that thing all the time. No, it's 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 very the very interesting. The Copperfield poster tells us what they're going to yeah. do. Good grief, you February twenty fourth. I'm trying to think of what ritual date February twenty fourth would be. Two twenty four. Okay, divide twenty four by two. You get twelve, right? Yeah. Twelve is the basis of hyperdimensional physics mathematically. There are twelve objects in the lunar circle Stonehenge in the Apollo twelve crater on the moon. Twelve. 12, it's part of the zodiac. It's the fundamentals of the entire hyperdimensional mathematical model. It's all right there. Okay. And, yeah. It's well. There was one thing I was. I forgot what I was going to say. Ron, what, what wait were you a minute. At this point, Ron has to be a oh, curmudgeon no. himself. <laughs> yes. Grumble, grumble, grumble. No, well, actually, I, Ron, no I'm, Ron, I'm just following your narrative, Andrew. Just keep Ron, going. Ron, Ron, before you go ahead, um, I would like you, Richard, no. at one point to watch the trailer, though, because in the trailer, like, Copperfield is standing in a crater. I mean, he's not, but he is. Like, they've just digitally put him there. I'd be very curious what crater he's standing in, if it has any meaning whatsoever, like, in the actual trailer number three. Oh. But it's something... Yeah, I well, if it's, if it's the forest, we know from Laney's exemplary work that yeah. the forest crater, which is located near the moon's south pole on the far side, is filled with architecture that look like temples or uh, castles or something very, very human and alien at the same time. Actually, they resemble, you know, temples in India ancient Hindu temples or much, much, much earlier. Well, Richard, I was yeah. trying to think, like I know I came with the question of like, what is it going to take for people to really pay attention? And one of the things you talked about if was... If Copperfield succeeds in making the moon go away, meaning yeah. he's part of a larger disclosure, you cannot, there will not be a human being who won't say what the heck is going on and demand answers and it won't be he's just good at illusion. Well, exactly. And if we ever do get this technology, this sex technology, this hyperdimensional technology back again, because I think we've had it at one time, then feats like creating like what we talk about all the time, buildings, pyramids that are a mile, mile and a half high will happen. And that's my number two. I, I took these pictures when I was looking out the plane as we were flying to Vegas. And this is Mount St. Helens. You click on it. And it was a lot of cloud cover. But um, I just had to take this picture because I was uh, – it's really neat. And the plane we were on, it was Air Canada. And they have like a little map that you could follow the trajectory yeah. of the plane. Yeah, and it, and it showed me us. I go, what, what mountain is that? Cause it, and it was Mount St. Helens. And it's it's – what is it? It's 
2,300 meters high, so it's almost a mile and a half high. And I thought to myself, is this what it's going to take for people to pay attention when we finally build, you know, a new Tower of Babel or something that it's going to, you know, stand out bigger than a pimple on the earth that people will actually pay attention and and really be, you know, enthusiastic once again. Look, you got to have the wonderment of a child. You got to have curiosity. That's what we've lost. We've become so yes. jaded. Mm-hmm. Our sense of wonder and. You know, I've I've had this conversation with Grossinger, you know, follow on the to monuments, the next book. We've got stunning real world data which completely puts us over the edge into a whole new paradigm. And my question has been, after I put all the work into the book, the Mars book and then the moon book, is anybody gonna give a damn? Or are they gonna be so fixated on Trump's trials and Hunter Biden's? By the way, the counter programming for Hunter Biden goes back to something we were talking with John about at the top of the show. Remember, Apollo's patch was Orion. The monument on the moon, the, the lunar Stonehenge, monumentalizes Orion. Hunter. The Orion was the hunter. Hunter Biden is a symbolic cultural cliche of Orion in modern politics, day and night, 24-7 through the trials next summer. We are inundated in a ritual that 99.99999% have no clue is going on around them. Well, Richard, I have to, I have to tell you, one of your listeners, um, he uh, uh, emailed me. We were going back and forth a little bit, and he said to me, you know, Andrew, he goes, Copperfield's uh, trick is magician's trick to make the moon disappear? He goes, that's not such a big deal. And I go, well, why not? And he goes, well, I do that every morning when I when I pull my pants up. <laughs> See, that's the oh, level. Boy. That's the level of the sense of wonder we're we're immersed in. Oh, no one trained for that. No one imagines what this will do for society, for humanity, for pulling us together. Because once Andrew? it becomes, once it becomes, let me finish this one thought. Once it becomes obvious that we are not alone, human beings automatically go to the pure foreign pole. They're going to be assuming if there's anybody but us out there, they are going to come and eat our lunch, which means that will bring people together quicker than anything else. And in that togetherness, they will discover a truth beyond their fears. They will discover it together and it all could be triggered by what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. Okay. Uh, Andrew. Yes. Been to Vegas. I have not in many years. Really? Many years ago. Yeah, no. I, I, uh, I did back many years ago work very briefly there, but I was the DJ in a strip club, so I didn't really... <laughs> Oh, you! Well, then you saw a lot of moons. I was going to say I saw a lot of moons. I saw a lot of. Oh, thank you! I didn't even think of that one. Uh, You know, I saw. Yeah, especially my girlfriend, who was one of the dancers. Uh, The um, truth. That's why I was there. No, the seriously. The uh, you've seen the sphere. You described the 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 bazillion LEDs that allow it to show anything at once, and it's it sounds totally overwhelming. Could that emulate 
the moon. Yes, of Could course, it already has. With... They've already put the moon up as oh yeah, as, it has. On the dome. It has. The only well, thing they're missing. Be... The only thing they're missing is the dome, which I'm going to supply them with. Well, okay, that could be how he's going to make it disappear. He's going to do it via the sphere, not actually in the sky. Oh, no, 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 it does not work unless it's in the sky and you're in Hong Kong or Peoria or France or Belgium or whatever, and you look I was thinking more like the the, uh, uh, Fatima, you know, where something like that was going on in the sky, but people elsewhere didn't see it. Well, you mean, you mean well, what's interesting is the trailer has zero information about how, where, when he's going to do this. That's right. That's right. I mean, if everybody the only the way people are going to could... the only way people are going to believe it is if it's real in the sky and he makes it really disappear. If it's anything else, it's a yeah. trick. It's a yeah. It's well, a if pre- he just does that over Vegas, that's one thing. If he does it for people that live in um, anywhere else on the dark side of the earth. Uh, it's, um, well, the fact the that they're heaven. holding this very close to their vest, mm-hmm. and they want a lot of people to say, oh, where, how, when. I mean, like this Betelgeuse eclipse can only be seen in a very narrow path from Mexico across the Atlantic into into uh, southern Europe and, and Italy. And you have to be really lucky to live in that one or two mile wide strip where you can look up and see Betelgeuse just disappear. And then come back on 15 seconds later. So everybody go to that item. Uh, I forget what number it is. You'll see it. <clears throat> and click on it. It's item number two, I think, or three. Probably three. And you'll see the links to the telescope, the virtual telescope project. Because obviously most of us are not going to be out there looking for it. Uh, John doesn't want to get on an airplane and go look at it. He'd rather watch it on television. Again, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a lack of a sense of wonder. Richard, remember the Richard. Carly Simon song, One Thing, Ruggiero, uh, Andrew, okay. about the eclipse in Nova Scotia? No. In in Your So Vain, the song where everybody's trying oh. to figure out who the song is about, you know, and you really oh. think this song is about you. Yes. Well, it was about Warren Beatty That's flying right, yeah. her up to Newfoundland to see the eclipse that I put on national television on CBS from an Air Force a uh, bomber at um, uh, 40,000 feet over Georgia. That's what the song is about. You're so okay. vain, you think the song is about you. You even flew someone up to see an eclipse of the sun. And that's them and all that. Well, that was an era when that was a big deal. Yeah. Warren Beatty took his girlfriend to see an eclipse. Now, a, a guy who wanted to one day be an astronaut can't go from from Houston to uh, Miami to see it in real, he'll watch it on television. Well, it'll be on. I yeah, it'll be on television. Remember Roddenberry? Yeah, Roddenberry. If it's real, it will be on. More people will believe it's real, Andrew, than if they stood out in a backyard of Miami and saw it with their own eyes. Well, that's what I mean. You're in a theater. You're seeing it in front of your face. What this guy's pulled off? Because he also. Mm-hmm. No, I'm, I'm talking about Betelgeuse not making oh, the moon oh, yeah. disappear. Well, what I mean is that is that it's almost like they have to see it through their screen to sort of have any sense of joy. Yes. That to actually uh, engage with what's in front of them or what is seemingly in front of them. Bonkers. Instead of appreciating the magnificence oh, of the exactly. universe for it spread out across. Okay, let me remind everybody in the last couple of minutes here 
Tomorrow night, we're going to have Bassett on to talk about the insane fight going on behind the scenes in Washington to keep UFO technology tied up under private corporations like opposed to making it available to the entire world and the American people. Do not miss that. And also, if you're in the D.C. area, you need to get on a bus or a train or take a car or maybe take an airplane and fly to Washington and get some damn pictures of this astonishing, amazing artifact, which is sitting there on display just for you at the Smithsonian so you can go down in history. I want to thank my guests this morning, John Brandenburg, Ron Gerbron, Andrew Curry, Rogero Kahlo. Keith is sleeping quietly. Kinthea, I loved your intrusions. They're perfect. It makes it sound so much more homey. Let's continue doing that. So until tomorrow night, same time, same bat channel. Remember, third star on the left, straight on till morning. Because it represents Orion. Hey, everyone.